Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This episode of the Cult Popshire podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, get up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, give us something to talk about in the post-credits scene at the end of each episode, or join us for our monthly movie club Zoom call where we discuss a film together, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash cultpopshire. Hey Richard, do you want to hear my Don Vito Corleone impression? Okay. <clears throat> I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. How's that for a payoff to Very a joke good. from? What a callback! What a, that was like. How long ago was that episode? That was like three months ago. We did Terminator. Good stuff. <sighs> yeah. We 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 reward we reward our our eagle-eyed viewers or mm. listener eagle-eared. Yeah. Do eagles? Now- <laughs> do eagles, eagles have particularly good hearing yeah. are they known for <laughs> i hope so because that's that's what the implication Otherwise, you're is. gonna look like a fool <laughs> well i would hate for that um yeah so anyway hello everybody my name is aj and this is richard and welcome to film franchise fortnights on the cold popshire podcast where every fortnight we watch an entire series of movies and then we come together to discuss, to look over, to reflect on their cultural impact, to talk about our own personal experiences with them, to talk about how they fit into the wider story of film franchises, and um, what maybe what we can learn more if we were mm, ever to make what a we film can franchise. learn from each other, and what we can learn about ourselves. Mm, exactly, and this franchise this fortnight guys we got a big one we got a we got we caught a big big fish uh and that is of course the godfather trilogy it's such a good theme song it's such it's so good it like conveys the tragedy of everything it's like one of the most like musically descriptive Mm. tracks i've ever heard um anyway um so <laughs> the godfather trilogy is a series of films directed by francis ford you say it coppola coppola we're going with coppola okay how would uh, you say it uh i flick back Capiola. <laughs> i flick back and forth between coppola and coppola and i've heard both so yeah, sure. what i always do Mm-hmm. Um, when I get into a situation like this, is I look up an interview with the person and okay. I see how they're introduced. Let me have a look. Okay. Interview. Oh, just that one just started with him talking. I got I got Coppola on my official pronunciation video that I just watched. Yeah. All I right, Coppola. Let's start again. <laughs> the Godfather trilogy is a series of films directed by Francis Ford Coppola, based on the novel by Mario Puzzo, um, which I believe is how you pronounce his name. <laughs> yeah, which I believe 
is cultural appropriation. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, he also so Puzo also co-wrote the screenplays for the films with Coppola. Um, the films consist of The Godfather in 1972, The Godfather Part Two in 1974, and The Godfather Part Three in 1990. Um, this is probably the biggest collection of pop cultural influences, lines of dialogue, and generic shorthands you'll find this side of the 20th century. Um, the Godfather trilogy boasts some of the best performances of all time, the best screenplays of all time, and best films of all time. And while we've covered some pretty culturally significant films on this podcast there's a good argument that none of them are quite as important or influential as the godfather or its sequels would you agree no no what would you say is no, carry on <laughs> culturally significant you're, you're like man bigger fatter liar was where it like that defined mm, that big fucking head <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah i don't know like I think because Star Wars is, was, was around the same time, and I definitely think that had a similar level of influence. Maybe not prestige, but we we haven't covered Star Wars on the podcast yeah. though. No, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I watched a video years ago that sort of signified Star Wars as when um, auteur auteur Hollywood stopped making complex character pieces and just went. Well, let's do special effects. Like before Star Wars, it's like The Godfather and Scarface and Taxi Driver. And now it's like Star Wars, Indiana Jones and all the, the big booming blockbusters. Um, so, well, yeah. There's, there's um, 1980 is, is kind of considered the end of auteur cinema. Right. Um, because Michael Cimino, Cimino mm-hmm. um, who had directed The Deer Hunter in 1978, followed that up with a film called heaven's gate which is one of the biggest box office bombs Mm. of all time and it was like maybe we shouldn't just give directors a lot of money because they're (laughs) good directors and that was when you know uh, that that kind of thing wasn't given they weren't given those big budgets anymore um because of heaven's gate um also i just thought as well jaws is probably a similar level of yeah yeah um you know being a collection of um just the first film but it's a collection of like things that would will live on like lines of dialogue performances Mm. and um moments yeah that's true um michael cimino is going to come up again in this podcast isn't that cool uh so what a what a cool little seed to to plant at the beginning because we'll be talking about him towards the end so the first video first video technically a film is a video (laughs) (laughs) what is a film if not a video the first film we watched was the godfather in 1972 as i said directed by francis ford coppola what do you think this has on ron tomatoes 100 percent it is 98%. So that's essentially 100%. It may as well be 100%, you know. Um, and what is The Godfather about? Okay, so you've got um, this guy, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so it's about the um, Corleone crime family, mm-hmm. uh, one of the, the crime families of New York. Um, and... It's about the patriarch of that family, Vito Corleone, played by Marlon Brando, uh, and possibly one of the most famous like yeah. film roles of all time. Um, there's an attempt made on his life, um, and so his son Michael ends up having to kind of uh, be the the head of the Don family, and so it's a bit about his 
rise. The the whole um, yeah. the the arc of the entire series is the rise and fall of Michael Corleone. Very much um, so. And it, yeah. it, there is there is a Shakespearean Greek tragedy to Michael Corleone because he begins the film as the only member of the Corleone family who doesn't want a part of the yeah. criminal um, lifestyle. He is a decorated war veteran from World War II, uh, yeah. played, by, played by Al Pacino. Um, and the first film short sort of shows the transformation of Michael from reluctant family outsider to the new head of the mm. last remaining crime family mm. in New York. Because um, but- he fucking kills them all at the end. Spoilers for all of these movies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, uh, meanwhile, yeah, there's like... Um, Vito has like a few children, so yeah. obviously the film famously starts on the day of his daughter's wedding, mm-hmm. um, and then he's got Sonny, who is um, the James oldest Cam. one, James Khan, and he uh, he's like the hot head of the family. Yeah, and then there's uh, Fredo, who is ends up being the betrayer of mm. the family. Mm. Yes, and Michael and Connie the youngest daughter or the only daughter. So Richard, it feels like a bit of an arbitrary question to ask um, any film nerd worth his salt, which I know you very much are, but what did you think of The Godfather? (laughs) Had you seen it before? I had seen it before, not not, not for a long, long time. Uh, It was the only one I'd seen, Mm -hmm. and I know you're in the same boat, right? Yes, I'd only seen the first one. Yeah, uh, it was was very funny. My experience with the film... Mm-hmm. You ask. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Um, so I, yeah, I watched this film years ago, and it's like obviously, it's one of those movies that just through osmosis you end up knowing a lot about, mm-hmm. um, and you, yeah, you end up like all these lines of dialogue and these moments, and you've seen scenes from it plenty of times. But it was funny the amount of stuff that, like, especially like in The Simpsons that yeah, I yeah. didn't realize was a reference to the Godfather mm. or like, like things that you're like, I assume this is a reference to something, but I don't know what it is. And then you watch and you're like, Oh, and, and but stuff that I didn't even realize was supposed to be a reference to something. There's an episode, the episode of the Simpsons where Marge gets really buff. Mm-hmm. Um, and she beats up her cause she, she gets attacked by someone. She ends up getting buff and then ends up beating up her attacker. Um, and it's literally done. Uh, like shot for shot, beat for beat, um, the way Sonny beats up um, Connie's husband, right? Um, and it's like, why did this need to be referenced to something? You know, <laughs> like it's just it's just a fight scene, but they like I think just lifted it from the Godfather. A lot of mafia um, imagery as well is like actually imagery from the Godfather, and not you know when you yeah. see like like Fat Tony in The Simpsons is a pretty direct vo- um, voiced by uh the godfather threes joe montaya that's true um but yeah he's he's very much like a a caricature of the gangster types that you see in the godfather films yeah. and it's hard to know when when is it just what the mafia actually is and when is it just what the godfather god the godfather is to mafia what jurassic park is to dinosaurs <laughs> like these are now right. what i think of when i think of dinosaurs yeah, these yeah, are now yeah. what we think of when we think of even though it might mafia. not be scientifically accurate to mafiosos <laughs> yeah do you know that that mafia gangsters actually had feathers <laughs> <laughs> uh but to answer your question vis-a-vis did i like the film yes i did it's a very mm. good film it's um, very good and i think i mean 
it's hard to talk about it without just barreling straight into what I thought of the second one as well. Mm. But I think it, it's like you talked about this on uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, how it's like, um, and I've been thinking about it a bit that it's like, it's kind of a passive watch film. Yeah. You, 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 whereas the second one's a bit more active, like yeah. you have to pay a bit more attention and, mm. and, and work a little bit more to put things together. Whereas this is like you, the way you described it for the good and the bad and the ugly is that it, you could put it on, fall asleep for 20 minutes, wake back up and you would, you know, you're still, you're yeah. not going to be lost. Um, yeah, but yeah. in a good way, it's like, because the whole thing is fantastic start to finish. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's good. It's good. Is it is it one of the best accomplishes of American pop culture? (laughs) Probably. Avengers Endgame was pretty good, dude. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I had seen this movie twice when I was a teenager. Uh, The first time I watched it was in year 12 media studies at high school when um, you do a genre study as part of the media studies curriculum and the genre my teacher picked was crime and so we watched a lot of crime movies which was a genre I found very hard to follow Um, and Mm. so uh, I really only ever understood the godfather in broad strokes right i understood it was about a mafia family and that michael corleone goes from innocent to corrupted by the end that's about all i retain mm, he turns right? from mr chips into scarface <laughs> pretty Literally, much he's fucking al pacino yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and that was about it i would have never said i didn't like it but i absolutely didn't see how it could be considered the best movie ever made right yeah because it strikes me as the kind of thing that you would have watched you would have been in an age where you're like i'm gonna not like the godfather like that'll be my thing no no there's a there's like a um there's a window where you you do that like lord of the rings i was like i'm gonna not like lord of the rings and like paddington too yeah well well i don't not like paddington too i just don't think it's the best cinematic achievement of all time um but the godfather's like one of those like because i i was a burgeoning film buff like i was slowly cultivating my identity around being someone who's really into films the godfather's one of those things where it's like no i actually really want to like it but right. i just didn't quite understand i think i and watched even it if you, again. even if you don't like it you you shouldn't admit to it yeah exactly i mean <laughs> i think yeah i watched it again on blu-ray maybe a year later on my old tube TV in my room and it was black and white because the TV couldn't handle the like high resolution of Blu-ray. So it went black and white. I don't know if that's a thing. I've never talked about this with someone. It was just something I assumed was because it was was Blu-ray. That's really weird. So I don't really see the appeal, but I do (laughs) definitely... What? You watch it like in shitty, yeah, yeah. Um, like black and white. You're like, I do not see the appeal. So it is like, where's the color? Mm. I I didn't understand it. I think is ultimately what I'm saying. Like I understood, yeah. as I said, I understood in broad strokes, but the minutia and the nuances went over my head. But watching it as a grown up dude, my god, the storytelling is so complex. It's so subtle, um, and all the other pretentious words that you hear film historians frequently use when describing the film. Um, I rewardingly watched the film very closely this time round, which I'm very mm. proud of <laughs> because I was actually able to, um, you know, I had my phone down. I wasn't, I wasn't like talking yeah. to someone at the same time. And so, um, I understood, you know, the, the majority of the film perfectly 
and felt very rewarded by the the story yeah. it's told me this is one of those movies that and i get this maybe i just maybe this is just how i watch movies but um i i can understand what's going on but if you came up and you were like what's happening in this scene i don't know that i'd be able to tell you and, right and for for like whatever given scene um yeah and it's like maybe i just need but then it's like once the movie's finished and they're like oh why did they do this i can explain it to you but while it's happening I, I, maybe it's just like i can't pause my brain out of the scene like out of paying attention mm. to think about how i got here yeah but once it's finished i'm like that's how it all wraps up yeah. the, the one thing i did do was when they mentioned a character name i googled the name to make sure i knew which one it was and it was right, the, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 fat dude who's real nervous to meet with Don Corleone, who then gets killed when he goes to pretend to betray him for the whatever yeah. you call it family. I couldn't remember. I couldn't place the name to the face. Cap- no, it's not Carponzio. It's it's the guy. They're like it means he sleeps with the fishes because they give him a bulletproof oh, um, vest. With yeah, the- is it, uh, it's not fishes. Fishes. Luca. Luca, Luca Brazzi, Luca Brazzi yeah. sleeps with the fishes. Yeah. Um. So I looked up who Luca Brazzi was just to make sure that I was, and it was who I thought it was. So other than that, yeah. um, my my pathetic millennial retention was able to actually do the film in honor, and 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 you know, and it gave me a lot back. Um, the the performances in this film are unmatched. God, they 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 is just, this is a collection of some of the best acting performances you'll see. Like the I and. I like. I really loved Marlon Brando, and I really loved Al Pacino, and I really loved um, Robert Duvall, who's kind of the unsung hero of yeah, the first two their, films. Yeah, uh, conciliary. They're, they're sort of like uh, their lawyer. Yeah, um, they're, they're, and he's kind of their right hand man, but um, and also yeah, adopted uh, brother technically. Yeah, as well. um, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's great. Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's one of those things. Like, yeah, Brando is just real good in it, but I like. For me, it's like you you kind of expect Marlon Brando to cast the shadow over the entire film that is going to, like, make no one else be able to kind of, like, get... But, my God, Al Pacino in one and two is Mm. so good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and it's like... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about... I think it's, again, it's better to maybe talk about this when we get to the third film because it's what's so good about the first film is yeah. highlighted by what's wrong with the third film it's funny how several times already we've been like the first two films especially like talking about something and it's like if you have no knowledge of like kind of the legacy of the godfather you'd be like isn't this a trilogy they haven't mentioned the third film <laughs> we'll get to it we'll get to it um so this film was to marlon brando what pulp fiction was to john travolta um, it revitalized a, a dying career, um, and Brando. A dying Brando, would, huh? <laughs> revitalized a dying Marlon Brando. <laughs> he's on a deathbed, like, do you want to play a mafia boss? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> um, Brando would go on to star in more timeless classics after The Godfather, such as Apocalypse Now and Superman. Um, so he was he was not the most active or seriously taken actor by the time the godfather came out like he had had his heyday with like on the waterfront and stuff and streetcar yeah yeah um so puzzo was who's the author of the book was the first to show interest in having marlon brando portray don vito corleone uh he sent a letter to brando in which he stated that he was the only actor who can play the godfather a few other actors were considered for vito including george c scott richard conti uh, Anthony Quinn, Orson Welles, but in the end, it came down to either Brando or Ernest Borgnine. 
<laughs> the guy, the Mermaid Man from SpongeBob, yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure he has some prestigious role. I'm not aware. Yeah, of. I'm sure he has a lot more range than that. <laughs> but can you imagine if these these roles were swapped and Marlon Brando ended up playing Mermaid Man and SpongeBob? Um, but but even so, like Ernest Borgnine is an actor I've I think I've only ever seen in comedies, like playing comedic. Yeah, and, and that like that, that voice, imagine yeah. that voice saying all the iconic Godfather lines, which we were talking before we started recording. And um, this is one of those classic cases of a of a misnomer. Um, is that the right term for a poorly like a, a line that people think is from this film that's not exactly what they think it is? Because people often quote the Godfather by saying, "You come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding," whereas I believe the line is something like. You come here the day my daughter is to be married and ask me to commit murder or something like that. I probably got yeah. it wrong as well, but it's nowhere near yeah. as as succinct as people who quote the movie seem to mm. think it is. There are so there is a lot of good lines in this film. Mm. Yep, like when he's like, um, "How you say? Uh, Look how they massacred my boy." Yeah. <laughs> That's me, a Don Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. When, when Michael um, exits the bathroom to kill the the other mob boss the and the, the crooked cop, he's like, "Here we go!" <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, very fun. Um, you and I are both part of a Simpsons shit posting group on Facebook, where people post Simpsons shit posting, and um, there's a there's a real funny movement of people who really don't understand what racism is, um, trying to say that like. Um, the Italian impressions are just as offensive as like a white man voicing Apu for so long. And then someone posted a meme that was like, don't make me tap the side. It was this picture of this Italian guy that said, doing an Italian accent is never racist. You can always do it. <laughs> it's like, yes, exactly. <laughs> so fucking annoying. Anyway, um, all right, Richard, now it's time for famous trivia and anecdotes. You probably already heard about Marlon Brando and The Godfather, okay? Is because, are we going to be doing this segment on every episode now? No, we are not, but um, this is... The, 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 the segment is not famous. The trivia in the segment is famous. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so the cat held by Marlon Brando in the opening scene, famously while he's, like, petting a cat, um, it was a stray that Coppola found while uh, while on the Param- on Paramount Pictures, the lot where they filmed it, and it was um, originally not called for in the script. So the cat, which is a very relaxed and willing-to-be-pet cat, is, like just kind of splayed out across the whole first scene and it just was found which is pretty interesting um brando probably never saw any royalties from the film no exactly and and more cat cat erasure in film is it not really erasure but i don't want to say abuse because that makes it sound i feel like the joke is gone if you say animal abuse like the joke I'm making just becomes rem- reminiscent of real life. Yeah, and it's taking so long to like, I would have just you know barreled past it and kept doing these. Um, <laughs> well, there <laughs> was there the was um, controversially the there horse- was actually a barrel on set. <laughs> <laughs> the horse head that um, the director wakes up with in his bed was an actual horse head. The horse was already dead, and it was from a a dog. It actually food. wasn't in the script. It was just a stray <laughs> horse that they murdered, and they and the, the scene actually just called for him to wake up. Start screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Marlon Brando eventually won the role for a commitment to the part by slicking his hair back with shoe polish and putting cotton 
pimples in his cheeks for the audition tape. Um, so that's we've got the kind of thing going on <laughs> with his mouth. It's, it's quite funny because because like it's the same sort of thing that happened with Citizen Kane, where it's like you forget how good like the makeup is mm. because um, so like in Citizen Kane, it's like he's a like 24 25 year old orson wells for a lot of the film playing this like fucking fat lard <laughs> like um charles kane but then it's like that's orson wells became that later in life and then it's the same thing here it's like he wasn't like the the brando from apocalypse now or whatever um because he famously in apocalypse now he was cast as like a, a more kind of lean they're supposed to have this big fight scene, but he just showed up to see it like bald and fat and like fat as all hell. Um, and so it's like, yeah, if you look at like the the before and after makeup of the Godfather, um, of like of Vito Corleone, he yeah, he was still quite handsome, mm, and it was yeah. it was just a few years later that he would descend into madness <laughs> descend into the heart of darkness that was him yeah. in apocalypse now um for the actual filming that so this is this this surprised me for the actual filming of his scenes in the godfather he didn't have cotton balls in his mouth he had a mm -hmm. a mouthpiece made by a dentist which you can now find on display in the american museum of moving image in queens new york um oh, wow. Should we go see that? Yeah, let's do it. Um, maybe the most famous anecdote. Anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> what a dumbass! Look, no, I, I think I think I've accidentally discovered something great there. An anecdote <laughs> that's adorable. <laughs> it's like not quite as as significant as an anecdote. An anecdote. It's um, like the it's the factoid. Yeah. <laughs> um, anecdotes fact. Um, although factoid actually means a fact that's not confirmed. Ah, oh, really? That has, actually has a different... What about a fun anecdote? That's a fun fact. They are, are anecdotes better. Okay, well, an the most famous anecdote is that he was extremely lazy and aloof on set, uh, needing to read his lines off cue cards um, hidden around the set, that sort of thing, which is incredible because... Again, he's so fucking good. In this I imagine, movie. imagine being like that good at your job that yeah. you can like fuck it. You, like you don't have to try. You yeah, and and everyone's like, yeah, it's Brando. Like <laughs> you, it's literally the the defining performance of your career, and you couldn't be bothered. It's the defining performance of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it sounds like with all these stories that. Uh, 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 Marlon Brando sounds like he's pretty difficult to work with, and I've got a couple more anecdotes later. That um, oh yeah, especially if you if you look into like Last Tango in Paris and stuff, right? Yeah, very um, and Apocalypse Now, mm. like, and it, yeah, it's sort of this this it is that ultimate case where it's like, listen, you put up with it you're probably going to get an Oscar-worthy performance in your film, mm, you know? Yeah. and um, uh, Which is what I'm sure Richard Stanley thought when he directed The Island of Dr. Moreau. Right. And that it was so bad that he didn't direct another film for, like, <laughs> almost 30 years. Wow. Um, so, at the, speaking of the Oscars, at the 45th Academy Awards, The Godfather won Oscars for Best Picture, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, and Best Adapted Screenplay for Puzo and Coppola. Um, in addition, the seven other Oscar nominations included Pacino, Khan, and Duval, for best supporting actor so three best supporting actor noms for from one movie which is pretty uncommon i think does that happen too often nowadays it happens nowadays? all the time actually oh does it okay yeah it happens every year oh, well never mind um and <laughs> no, it, 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 you, you often get uh one or two from yeah i know that's what i'm that's why i yeah, said I, three I know, I know i know i know <laughs> 
Um, Coppola was also uh, nominated for Best Director. Um, This is one of those interesting categorizations of nominations to me, because would you say Brando is the lead actor in the film? Uh, Like, it's one of those things that's like, he's the title character, so... Yeah. You can understand Well, would you say... It's like... And and I also think, like... you have to keep in mind that it's not the academy hasn't watched the film but like well he's the lead let's let's nominate him the studio puts him forward yeah, and yeah. it's probably that you know marlon brando because he hadn't won an oscar up until this point had he i don't think so um uh that he you know it's like you he wants to get his oscar for lead actor rather mm. than you know Mm. well because Pacino was nominated for supporting and while Vito has more of a presence the the film is undoubtedly about Michael Um, and Al Pacino actually boycotted the ceremony because he was angry that he was nominated wasn't nominated sorry Brando won for On the Waterfront as well I thought I thought that might have yeah true um Yes, Pacino was angry that he that he was nominated for supporting actor when he had more screen time than Marlon Brando and is the lead character in the film. And That's I can I can understand I can understand nominating Brando for lead actor, but nominating Pacino for supporting actor feels a bit misguided. Right, but I mean, yeah, like you have to nominate because if you nominated both for lead actor, you've you know, you've vote. split the vote um and, and only one of them can win as well but i think also as well that like by definition you like have to pick a lead a, a lead actor and a lead actress for your film you can't pick two whereas like right. supporting it's like everyone else is a supporting character um but similar, also I, I, yeah it was similar with the favorite when um rachel weitz was no no it was um emma stone and rachel weiss were nominated for supporting and olivia Coleman won for lead for lead, and it's like, is Olivia Coleman the lead in the the favorite? I would have thought Emma Stone was the lead in the favorite. It's a yeah, lot more yeah, like it's definitely like Emma Stone's story, but the film is about. Olivia it's, Coleman. it's it's an interesting it, conversation, isn't it? Like, what what are these yeah, terms? But actually it's like mean? I think at the end of the day, it's like it's what the studio told the Academy yeah. they were doing. Yeah. Um, but I I assume you're about to tell the story about Marlon Brando's uh, Oscar. Um, I, I'm actually not. Would you like to take take that? Uh, well, he famously refused um, his Oscar for The Godfather, uh, and had a, a young Native American girl mm. go on stage to collect right. um, for her uh, for him. And um, yeah, he um, uh, Sachin Littlefeather was her name, um, and yeah. Um, it was essentially he boycotted the Oscars to um, uh, highlight the treatment of Native American people in mm. Hollywood uh, and got booed for it. She was booed. That's um, that is a bad look, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Well, hey, I thought it could be cool too. Um, Godfather, greatest film of all time in theory um look at uh what roger ebert said for each of the godfather films being the greatest film critic of all time or the very much the godfather of film critics anyway Mm. um and surprisingly uh roger ebert actually criticized brando's performance and called it uh saying his movements lacked precision and his voice was wheezy and it's like whenever i read like an interesting factoid or no fact about an anecdote about Roger Ebert. It's always him saying like an opinion that would now be culturally considered 
not the dominant culturally opinion. insensitive yeah, not at all but like you know like he didn't like the matrix he's criticized brando here we'll see what he said about godfather 2 in a minute yeah, he thought stephanie myers the host was so bad that he just died after reviewing <laughs> it um but he did he did uh later sort of you know put it in like his greatest greatest films of all yeah, time yeah he, he he i know because i know he gave godfather 2 not a very good review which i'm sure i'm mm-hmm. stepping on your toes yeah. a little bit there but he did re-review it yes years later yeah yeah um so it's pretty interesting uh one scene that really impacted me in the godfather richard um was when michael goes to see Vito in the hospital after Vito is gunned down for refusing the narcotics deal um with from Solozo. uh and in the film um michael turns up to the hospital and there's no one around and it's like well this you know this is a high profile gangster he's probably going to get killed um and so a nurse comes in and he's like who where where are all the guards and like oh we we sent them home and and he's like someone's coming to kill my father you have to help me move this bed um and immediately i just related to the nurse i was like if i was in this film <laughs> I would be the nurse and I'd be like, hey, this really isn't my call um, <laughs> to help mm-hmm. you move the bed. Can I can go and get someone to let me go. And he'd be like, no, just help me move the bed. I'd be like, ah, I don't usually work at this hospital. And like, it's not, re- I'm not, I'm really not the person you're wanting to be talking yeah, to yeah, yeah. about this. <laughs> that that, happen- that shit happens to me all the time at, at jobs. <laughs> it's like, I get asked to make like big important calls and I'm like, uh, I can go get someone. I will happily go get <laughs> someone <laughs> yeah um speaking of good scenes mm-hmm. um when michael has to go kill the mm. what a good scene it's the best scene in the film it's the best scene in the franchise yeah. might i i dare i say um which yeah, probably so, makes it the best scene in all of cinema right so uh michael has to kill Solozzo and mccluskey who is the the um kind of crime he's boss he's uh, an nypd yeah, well, McCluskey's a crooked cop, and and Solozzo yeah. is is the 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 guy who shot Vito for not um, complying to his deal, um, and they shoot him in a restaurant, and the tension leading up to that moment is yeah. fucking palpable. It is insane. Yeah. I felt like I was watching Breaking Bad. You know, like it's the same language of tension. The Godfather which, are like, oh my god, like thank God we finally got compared to. Like. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's a pretty cool, like retroactive respect I have for this film. As scenes like that mean, like it clearly influenced the golden age of TV dramas and like Tarantino and Scorsese films. And- yeah, well, I mean, because the golden age of TV drama was clearly was started by The Sopranos. Exactly, but yeah, like it's it's such a scene. It's such a Breaking Bad esque scene yeah, really 100 so yeah like it starts with because they organize it beforehand that they're like you can't take a gun in yeah uh, we'll plant the gun beforehand so it's like to- talk to them for however long um then excuse yourself to go to the bathroom and we'll have taped a gun behind the like um the water tank of the toilet um and then it's like yeah they they like insult him or something and that's when he he goes up and mm. and gets it but he like can't find the gun immediately and it's like mm. fuck fuck but then it's just it's just there he just had to look a little bit harder um yeah. but then he comes out because they're like the come plan out blasting is, yeah the plan the plan is come out blasting drop the gun immediately and just get out of there like people will be too scared yeah they'll like they won't look at you um Stuff like that, but he comes out and he sits back down, and the camera just slowly zooms in on him, and you can see him like coming to grips with the fact that it's like his life is about to change, mm-hmm. like completely, and it and it can never go back. Yeah, ah, 
it's yeah. it's cinema it is cinema yeah. you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> it's so good it's so good um and the other the other specific uh sort of scene i wanted to mention is the final shot of the film which is like one of the classiest pieces of storytelling you can yeah. i could debut right so it ends with um k played by diane keaton who's keaton keating keating right keaton Keaton. Okay, and and she is she plays Kay, who's Michael's uh, girlfriend and and second wife eventually, and she's basically like, did you kill um, Carlo, who is the the one of the traitors in the family towards the end of the film, and he's and he's he's like, never ask me about the family business, and she's like, you said you weren't like it, like your father, all this sort of thing, and he's like, and all he's right, like mamma mia, he's like mamma mia, yeah, um, and then he's like, okay, you can ask me about the family business at one time, and she's like, did you do it? And he said no. And she's like, okay, thank God. And she goes out to like get something, and then she looks back into the the room, the office, and sees like all these men come up and like pay their respects to the new Don Corleone, and then mm. someone like closes the door on Kay, and it's like, motherfucker, like it's it. He's he's the Godfather. He's the Godfather. Yeah. It's he's so the guy. Good. He's <laughs> the titular Godfather. <laughs> and that's why he should have been nominated for lead actor. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, what an ending. What a, I think I've seen it parodied in like Family Guy or something, but it's like it's just so the language of the scene is so powerful, the like visual language of it and it's like Yeah, of the shutting a door as your yeah. final shot. It's but it's very similar to yeah. the final shot of the Irishman as well, actually. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so Sergio Leone was Paramount's first choice to direct the film. Uh, he turned down the option in order to work on his own gangster film, Once Upon a Time in America. I did read something that said he didn't want to make a film glorifying the mafia, and then after he saw The Godfather, it was like a massive regret of his that he didn't direct it. Um, mm. Because The Godfather is also seen as a bit more complex than just being pro-mafia. It's actually seen as quite a um, pro-immigrant film. Like It's it's like the story mm. of the immigrant's American dream in a lot of ways, um, mm. which is which is really cool. Um, Peter Bogdanovich was then approached, but he also declined the offer because he was not interested in the mafia. Uh, in addition, Peter Yates, Richard Brooks, Arthur Penn, Costa Garvis, and Otto Preminger were all offered the position and declined. Man, can you imagine if The Godfather was directed by Otto Preminger? <laughs> It'd be a completely different film! <laughs> I don't know who Otto Preminger is, is the joke, if you can't tell. Um, Uh, according to imdb lenny montana who played luca brassi was so nervous about working with marlon brando that in the first take of their scene together he flubbed some lines which happens in the character in the film but it was actually just the actor screwing up and so the scene where before that where you see him practicing his thank you to mar to um to the godfather was added later so that they could use the scene where the actor screws up the lines because he's so intimidated by marlon brando because he goes he's like i wanted to thank you for allowing me here on the day of your daughter's wedding on the day that she is to be married and it's like you know he like it's like a double positive or whatever and it's like it works it really works um it's it's interesting because that's the thing that like um marlon brando kind of uh started the kind of movement or like pioneered it of like uh, the Stanislavski acting technique which is just like being your character kind of thing so it doesn't Mm. matter if people screw up you just stay in character and 
Um, there's a there's a bit in on the waterfront where they're walking through like a playground. He's, he's talking to the female lead, and she pulls these gloves out of her pocket and drops one by accident. And Marlon Brando just picks it up and starts like pulling the the fingers back out of it, and kind of just like uses it to, while he's sort of talking contempl- contemplatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and the actress like you can see her panic and you can see her like she tries to get it back off him, but he's, and then he goes off and does something with it. And it's like, he's not allowing himself, the character to be interrupted by Mm. something going wrong. And there's, um, there's an example of this in the third film, which is like a a, a very minute thing I noticed. Um, but there's a famously bad performance in the third film, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. (laughs) Um, Sophia Coppola. Um, but there's a bit where she's like rolling up a poster and you can see there's like a bit where there's like a clearly a kink in the um in the paper and so she has to straighten it out but you can see her like her mind exit the scene to fix it and then start being the character wow. again that's a real um, observation it, it's like it's it's like the most minute detail but it's like that that's kind of the thing that that brando yeah kind of pioneered this thing of of never allowing yourself to have those moments because something's wrong. How would my character react? Because I'm just living the character. You know? mm, yeah. Um, nice. Very cool. So sorry. I know that I know I say that when it sounds like I was just about to cool. Cool. Anyway, no, that was genuinely a very cool anecdote anecdote. Um, and I'm very glad you brought it up. Um, can I move on to my next thing or will I be ruthlessly mocked? for? Uh, I don't, know, yeah, like, I don't know, if you can come up with a better segue, it wouldn't go awry. <laughs> All right, well, Richard, I thought I would look into some, um, so I sort of like perused the critic contemporary reviews, um, and I found one which I think would be a good place to sort of wrap up talking about the first film on, um, and this is remarkable, this is, actually isn't, um, this is the 40th anniversary, so not contemporary, but um, film critic John Pod Horitz praised The Godfather as arguably the great American work of popular art and the summer of all great movie making before it. And I think that's a great way to summarize why this is such a revered piece of film. You know? Yeah, I think as well, because you, you look back at films like I mentioned Citizen Kane, where it's like, not only is it a great film, but you look at what it pioneered and, and what it... um yeah like like, i guess really what it pioneered and then you look at the next you know however many years of films leading up to the godfather and it's like they perfected all of the those Mm. techniques um and and everything that was introduced in film between the start of the the start of film and the godfather it's like yeah they, they using all of those techniques and it's almost like the closing chapter of one era of film mm. that allowed us to have the next one yeah exactly um but before we move on to the godfather part two i've got some dumb imdb trivia for the first film only a couple i've got way more for the next two um but <laughs> so so yeah imdb trivia if you don't know is user submitted meaning a lot of it is either dumb or arbitrary or occasionally i include it because the trivia itself is not dumb but the situation it's talking about is like this is stupid that this happened <laughs> which is actually yeah, yeah, technically yeah. a good piece of trivia then but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um so i've got two pieces of dumb imdb trivia for the godfather according to al pacino the tears in marlon brando's eyes were real in the hospital scene when michael pledges himself to his father 
And it's like, yeah, it's a fucking actor. It's Brando, of course. The, <laughs> the tears are real. Why are we even talking about that the tears are real? It's like the first thing you learn as like a professional actor. Um, and the second piece I've got is Francis Ford Coppola held improvisational rehearsal sessions that simply consisted of the main cast sitting down in character for a family meal. The actors and actresses couldn't break character, which Coppola saw as a way for the cast to organically establish the family roles in the final film. Now, that is cool. That is not a dumb thing that happened. Yeah. But it sounds like something I would hate to be involved in. <laughs> oh, my fucking God, dude. I know. I, like, like this, this is one of those things that, like, I... I'm okay. Not to toot my horn. I'm I'm quite good at these things, but I don't like doing them. Mm, right. Like like I, I've I've done exercises like this. You you are you are trained as an actor as well. Yeah, and it's like I, I um not that you could tell by watching Ready to Record <laughs> um <laughs> um but I yeah like I I find it quite easy to to improvise and stay in character and and stuff like that when you with this. Because improvising a scene is different from like, you know, uh, like comedy troupe improv where it's like you're trying to think of how to make things funny. But if you just know a character and you're thinking, how what would they say and how would they say it? That's like not, I, I don't find that very difficult, but it makes me uncomfortable to do. It makes me so uncomfortable and I would forever be uncomfortable with it. Um, I'd feel like I constantly would have to say something to be to express that i'm in character you know well acting is reacting <laughs> but i would feel like like if everyone else is talking and i'd be like oh god i have to think of something in character to say like put a camera on me i could probably do it it's the fact yeah, that yeah. it's for no one <laughs> it's the problem that's what i'm struggling with right yeah. i guess if you think about it like you, you're not only uh, is it helping you find the character a bit better but it's also um you know you're because acting is reacting mm. <laughs> once again um like like you're uh, fostering better performances from the other people sure but, yeah um, i yeah i remember in high school drama um i i was all good with like exercises and stuff but whenever there was like okay go away by yourself and practice this i'd be like i don't want to do this no one's oh, watching. Oh yeah, me. fuck yeah! I would just go and just sit by myself, yeah. and then come back and just do it the same. Yeah. I would have done it. <laughs> it was awful, awful stuff. All right, The Godfather Part Two in nineteen seventy four. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola directed. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Hundred percent. It's ninety eight percent, the same as the first. Um, it received divided reviews from critics at the time, but its reputation um, was improved rapidly and soon became maybe the biggest ever case of a critical reevaluation in history. <laughs> like, like the 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 praise and the kind of social standing that The Godfather Two has now is like insane to think that it was ever doubted, you know, because it's, yeah. it's now seen as sort of just as good as the first one. Um, what is The Godfather Part 2 about? Okay, so following on from where we last left our heroes, um, <laughs> uh, so this is all about, this is where the, the, the kind of overall plot of this film uh, in the present day timeline is that um, it's kind of the, the Fredo's, um betrayal and his kind of uh whatnot his his wrongdoings uh it's kind of that coming to a boiling point and as uh michael really starts to uh grow his power as as a mafia boss 
um and then essentially he has to make the decision to get rid of fredo mm-hmm. um meanwhile well not meanwhile decades earlier um we see a young vito corleone uh played by robert de niro mm-hmm. uh and it's kind of his rise a little bit um yeah. and so he he immigrates to new york and then he ends up back in sicily and and kind of uh, fulfills his childhood dream of murdering an old man <laughs> the, the man who killed his mother and father yeah. and brother yeah a specific so, old man not just he's like yeah. ever since i was as far back as i could remember i always wanted to kill an old man <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting the first film i don't know if you picked up on this it actually takes place over 10 years the first film it takes place from yeah. 1945 to 1955 um the godfather part two takes place in 1958 and 19 19- Oh, like 18 or something yeah, like that 17, mostly um so yeah that's that's there's a bit more there's a big section in it that's about um like making deals with the cuban government and that sort of thing um i i watched a real cool video from eyebrow cinema the youtuber who described it as if part one is about how an innocent man becomes a head of a mob family part two is about how the head of a mob family becomes a monster and i was like that's kind of a cool way to to yeah, think yeah. of it um so you hadn't seen this film before no i hadn't nor nor had i what did you think of it uh it's a good film it is a good film <laughs> uh yeah it's actually this is uh, one of my dad's favorite films oh, cool um who i'm sure will be listening to this hi dad um hi dad <laughs> <laughs> uh but the yeah it's interesting so uh yeah i'm try- trying to think of like what i sort of thought it was going into it um and versus what i got yeah, yeah. i um uh i i kind of thought i would like the robert the the flashback bits a bit more like i think i thought that was like this is what makes it the best one right is because it has like this amazing like mm. you see both of them and i think because there are a lot of parallels in the story um and but i think it's more just it's not that i didn't like them it's just i i found the continuation of michael's story more interesting than than seeing vito's um but this is definitely a film and like i mentioned about like it's it's more of an active watch like you kind of have to invest a bit more into it i i do really want to watch this film again um like maybe within the next month or so um i mean they're you i'm sure we'll talk about this later but there is going to be a reason to rewatch part one and two uh coming before the end of the year mm-hmm. but yeah it, it's it's a it's a great film and uh al pacino's performance in this is one of the the greatest of all time i like mm-hmm. i think that's fair to say um de niro's fantastic as well um I, I not necessarily like trying to do any kind of imitation of marlon brando he does um, the voice but he's also speaking sicilian for 95 yeah, percent of his lines so it it obscures it a bit it, it clouds it a bit so yeah. you're not drawing a direct comparison yeah it's interesting watching because because de niro and pacino obviously you know you're, you're told they're two of the greatest actors of all time and you and i grew up in in a world where our introduction to these actors was like meet Meet the the parents parents. (laughs) um and so it's like you're like yeah he's good in it but then he's great and meet the parents (laughs) oh yeah he is um but it's like you go back and watch these things and it's seen like a completely different Hmm. thing and especially al pacino who and we'll talk about this but um the the difference in 1972 and 74 al pacino to 1990 al pacino is staggering yes um 
yeah so well i was good to see like these performances and be like yeah fuck yeah this is actually like one of the best performances i've ever seen <laughs> yeah um i really liked part two i gun to my head i'd say i prefer part one which is interesting i'd never seen part two but i always thought i'd be i'm so in love with the concept of sequels that i'd be champing at the bit to be like part two's the best one you know but i think yeah. i'm more of a godfather part one guy um and that may just be because part one feels a lot cleaner as you said and like easier to follow yeah I th- found it, I'm, it, I'm the same but i think I, that could change in a rewatch right i think it's a lot more difficult to read the poetry of part two and fully enjoy it I, like i had to dig into it a bit um and maybe it's just because i hadn't seen it before but like i I'm, i very succinctly can tell you the poetry of part one that it's the corruption of an innocent man whereas like what is part two about it's like ah, uh, before watching any video videos on it or like looking into it i'm not sure if i could really tell you um but what i thought was interesting is how like both you and i are like lifelong consumers of media and i've passively ingested a lot more of part one than part two yeah for sure like even though both are as highly regarded and as old as each other ostensibly before i'd even seen part one i was well aware of like marla brando's character of several lines of dialogue and iconic imagery the only thing i knew about part two was robert de niro plays a young Vito, and i hadn't seen it i just knew he did um i knew the final shot where michael's sitting there thinking about what he's done we posted on our instagram it's sort of like the and then then alex alexander the great wept for he had no more worlds to conquer kind of thing um and i was some something in me was aware of like the idea of fredo like fredo's almost a term now for like someone who betrays you Mm. and that doesn't happen in the first one explicitly and therefore, I think I was expecting something like that to happen with Fredo in this because um, because I'd, I'd become aware that that was kind of a widely used generic term for a traitor or something like that. Mm. And his death is real great because it's early, earlier in the film he tells Michael's son, Anthony, the key to catching a good fish is to say a Hail Mary before you cast your line. And then his death is when he's out on a fishing boat and he casts his line and he's saying a hail mary and gets shot from behind by the by al the bodyguard and Mm. it's like fuck what a ghostly ghostly piece of of film right like you know it's a very well shot thing and i bring it up because that is also i didn't realize this but but the yeah the shot is uh, something i've seen replicated i think somewhere in pop culture yeah. as well but i didn't realize it was from anything um the idea of of killing someone on a boat in the middle of the water you know yeah um the it's also worth mentioning uh, you, again you might have had this in your notes but uh fredo's played by john kazale mm. yeah um who uh, this pops up on reddit trivia every, all the fucking time yeah um but he was only ever in five films um the Godfather, The Conversation, The Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Deer Hunter, all five of which were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, so yeah exactly. That's pretty, because it's, it's not like, I, I always thought it was like, oh yeah, he'll um he'll pop up in, in, in each of them and, and it'll be just like a little cameo role. It's like, no, he's a, he's a very main character in, mm. in like two Best Picture winners. Yeah, and he's one of those like actors that's like, it's a real good actor, but he plays like such a snively character that yeah. your your mind almost doesn't go like oh he's actually just as good as like Pacino <laughs> because yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's playing a less dominant character um 
I liked, I really liked the prequel stuff with De Niro, but initially I didn't understand why we were being shown it. Um, mm. And you'd hope the the quote unquote greatest sequel of all time would be somewhat narratively justified in showing yeah, what could and be the seen. Greatest prequel of yeah all yeah time. yeah you'd hope it could be justified in showing what could be seen as meaningless fan service you know like there's got to be a, a better reason to be showing us this just beyond it's cool um what did you th- do you why do you think we were shown veto's rise what do you think the, the narrative point of it is yeah it, it's the parallels of, mm. of of growing power and um because i think um Vito's story is a lot more kind of positive yeah it's it's positive it's like it's 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 an american dream kind of story yeah. it's um it's about something starting you know whereas um the the michael's thing is about it's something ending yeah um essentially and so i think because because of what was shown of Vito at the start of in the first film uh, you know it's a very kind of ruthless mafioso boss Mm. kind of don't fuck with this guy and so seeing him it's like yeah he started out like this too yeah just like michael yeah it's just that Vito's life kind of rocked and michael's life sucked (laughs) right um but because i think yeah so it is a contrast but i think it's also a statement on how it used to be simpler simpler times right because in the good old days yeah the good old days where in the early 1900s you'd kill like a lowly don because that's what um Vito does he kills like the the don of his little burrow but it's like he's not even that tough of a don um and suddenly you rule new york right whereas now you're traveling to havana and making backdoor agreements with a corrupt government like these are the, you know the huge huge dis- discrepancies and how you know how difficult and how complicated both of these things both these things are um yeah so it's, it is good and it's just it's a bit as we've said this a few times i think already but it's like the godfather part two requires a bit more work on your part as an audience member mm. to understand why it's good so both films end with a montage of michael's enemies being killed um, but the first one is this dark, morally bankrupt victory, right? It's mm. like intercut with Michael baptizing his godson, literally becoming a godfather and being asked if he renounces Satan. Mm. And he's like, I do. And then cut to like all the, the like plethora of murders he's he's ordered. And um, do you know the that little baby playing the godson in that scene? Mm-hmm. Sophia Coppola. Sophia Coppola. Yep. Um, the second is very light on music, and we watch as an enemy. This is really interesting. And this, again, this is this is from the eyebrow cinema video that I watched. Um, so yeah, the the montage happens, and the people you see kill is uh, Roth, who's an enemy who is already lost. Right, like he is coming back to the states and is going to prison. Yeah. Right, like he's lost, but he's killed. Right. Then you see the family traitor himself, uh, or kills himself. Sorry, who's um. Uh, what's his name? Cal- Cal- oh, fuck, what are these characters' names? Clemenza. Something, Ita- something no. Italian, I don't know. Clemen- no, it's not Clemenza, it's um Frankie. <laughs> you see Frankie kill himself, um, and it's like he was a family traitor, but again, he's also no threat at this point, right? Um, and then you, you see Fredo get killed, who is guilt-ridden, and not only as a member of the family, but he's never going to cross Michael again, mm. right? And well, so while well yeah but he wasn't even if he wasn't being killed he would never cross him again um 
And it's the same idea as the the montage in the first one, but in the first one it's glory and it's I am getting rid of my enemies. But in the second one, it's like this cold emptiness and it's like this is just pointless. Mm. All of these deaths are pointless. It's not a strategic move to help the family. It's a it's petty revenge at the cost of the family. Yeah. Right? And so it's and it's something Don Vito would never do. And it's something that Michael has become. Right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's very um, cool. I do want to just talk before we move on about uh, you mentioned like the final shot of this film, and so mm-hmm. the, we've we've shown flashbacks all throughout the film, but the second to last scene of the film is a flashback to only a few years before the start of the first film, um, and it's the family at dinner minus um, so Sonny James Khan returns, um, and uh, Don Vito's not there, um, but. It's when Michael announces that he's, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, he's going to uh, enlist in the Marine Corps. And yeah. the whole family is like, what the fuck are you doing? Apart from Fredo, who's like the only one that's like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's dope, man. Um, <laughs> Yo, but, that is dope, dude. And then um, the, you hear uh, Vito comes to the door and everyone runs out of the room, but Michael um, sits there by himself and then it fades, cross dissolves to Michael sitting alone by the lake. Mm. And it's like, it's one of those things that like, obviously it's a fantastic movie up until this point. Um, but it's one of those like, oh, what a satisfying like button on the film. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. like, like I've mentioned this about like the, yeah, the last half hour of The Irishman, um, mm. like the second to last shot of A Star Is Born. Um, mm. There's like all these things where it's like, this is so good, but I just, I just need one final tasty little morsel and then it gives yeah. it to you and it's so satisfying and it's like yeah. it's the kind of it's the that final shot of michael is one of those like that's gonna be the my memory of the film that's gonna be yeah. the, the the image that stays with me for for the rest of my life it's the kind of final shot that men write songs about <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no absolutely it is cool and it is it is just so reflective and it's like yeah because it's piece, so like piece of shit yeah was it worth monster, it you fucking you know? dick <laughs> yeah, yeah was it worth it you piece of shit um yeah i have a favorite line of dialogue of this film which is when they're talking about killing roth even though he'll be like heavily bodyguard uh, and Michael says, if anything in this, in this life is certain, it, if history has taught us anything, it's that you can kill anyone. <laughs> and I was like, fuck yeah, man. That is so dark. Um, and I, interestingly enough, this story takes place um, a few years before JFK is killed. So it's like, you know, almost mm. a, a eerie premonition of that. Um, but speaking of lines of dialogue, Richard, do you know that possibly there's conjecture and I couldn't find a straight answer. The Godfather 2 is possibly the origin of the phrase, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Interesting. Because the first the, the first one has, um, the first one has, Revenge is a dish best served cold as well. Oh, right. I don't know if that's where it comes I, from. But. Right. Um, but I just thought that was, I, I would have assumed that was hundreds of years old, that, that line. Yeah. And there are a few other origins, which means it could be a bit older, but like, it, it was like rated one of the best film lines in history in, in something. Right. And it was like, well, surely if that's, if it's getting ranked as such, you would think that it's yeah, yeah. like, I wouldn't even thought it was a film line. I thought it was just an idiom. Um, yeah. 
So according to IMDb, Francis Ford Coppola considered bringing Marlon Brando back to play Vito Corleone as a young man, convinced he could play at any age. As he worked on the script, though, he remembered that Robert De Niro's exceptional audition for The Godfather and cast him without offering the part to Brando. So Robert De Niro auditioned for a very small role. I can't remember what role it was. It wasn't like a significant one in the first film and he didn't get it. And so that's actually how he got... um, yeah, that's how he got the role of young Vito. Yeah, sure. um, are you ready for a long piece of Oscar trivia, which you'll know bits and pieces of and is so cult pop Cheerian, I feel so honored to be able to bring it to you now right. on this So podcast. you think I'm not going to know all of it? You Well, it's more like when you think about it, like you know, you'll know the gist, but okay. then it just keeps oh, going. Right, and there's, there's, there's more caveats to it than, than I originally <laughs> thought. Okay. <clears throat> So, the film was nominated for 11 Academy Awards at the 47th Academy Awards and became the first sequel to win Best Picture. Uh, Only Lord of the Rings Return of the King has since also achieved this. The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 remain the only original-slash-sequel combination to both win Best Picture, along with The Lord of the Rings, The Godfather Trilogy, shares the the distinction that all of its installments were nominated for Best Picture. Which we talked about last week. (laughs) Yes, it's six Oscar wins also included Best Director for, for, for Coppola, Best Adapted Screenplay for Coppola and Puzo, and Best Supporting Actor for De Niro. The first of two times that two actors have won an Oscar for their portrayals of the same character. So De Niro and Brando both have won for playing the same character. The second is Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix for The Joker, though it's maybe an important distinction to point out that the two Joker performances were in different and they're, they're not supposed to be the same person. Exactly, yeah. while De Niro and Brando are both playing the same character, the same canon at a different point in his life. However, there are other cases of, a, of an actor being nominated for taking over another Oscar-winning performance. Uh, Gerard Depardieu was nominated for Best Actor in Serrano de Bergerac in 1990, a role that had already won an Oscar for Jose Ferrer. Uh, and like Brando, Ferrer had played his role in English, and like De Niro, Depardieu played the role in the character his native language in this case french years later jeff bridges would be nominated for his performance in true grit which john wayne uh, had won his oscar his only oscar for his performance in the original true grit which imdb cutely points out also featured robert duval <laughs> very nice yeah so it's it's a lot more than just like lord of the rings and godfather are the only two trilogies to or or both the only sequels to ever win best picture yeah. it's like it just goes on and on and on um yeah and it's crazy it's like because there's not many sequels that have been nominated like mm. especially without having the original nominated yeah yeah like, but has that ever happened do you reckon uh Toy Story 3 oh of course of course uh but tell you what man Pacino really got shafted by the Godfather series oh my god yeah like legacy. like literally you go on like Al Pacino's Wikipedia page and it says his performance as uh Michael Corleone is considered one of the best uh one of the greatest mm. in film history um but he won his first Oscar in 1993 for Scent of a Woman and his, <laughs> his only Oscar is that his only Oscar? Yeah. I thought he won for like Dog Day Afternoon no. Were you serious? That is crazy. Yeah. The scent of a woman. That's an apology, Oscar. It is. It fucking that, is. That's a, that's a it, fucking it, it, apology, It's generally, Oscar. yeah, it's 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 one of the classic examples. Um, Scorsese winning for The Departed is another one. Um, and right. Leo for The Revenant, where it's like, look, you deserve one of these. <laughs> what, what should Scorsese have won for? 
uh, Raging Bull. Um, I feel like I like The Departed more than Raging Bull. Yeah, but it's like, you know, it's Martin Scorsese who's been, you know, making his some tick- of the- His ticket's up. Yeah, yeah, who's been making some of the best films of, you know, for, for yeah. such a long time, um, finally wins in 2006. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> so weird. Um, so Puzo started writing the script for The Godfather 2 in December 1971 before part one was even released. And the initial title was The Death of Michael Corleone, which, as we'll soon learn, is later is clearly a title that Coppola has a boner for. Like, that is a title that shows up again and again from here on out. Um, Coppola's idea for a sequel would be to juxtapose the ascension of the family under Vito Corleone with the decline of the family under his son, Michael. I had always wanted to write a screenplay that told the story of a father and a son at the same age. They were both in their 30s, and I would integrate the two stories. In order not to merely make The Godfather 1 over again, I gave Godfather 2 this double structure by extending the story in both the past and the present. Another interesting piece of trivia is that the rise of Vito is in the Godfather novel um, and is not featured in the Godfather film adaptation and the rise of Vito is the only part of the Godfather novel that is adapted. So the Godfather part two, the movie, is technically also based on the Godfather right, the right, novel, right, right. but only because of Vito's story. Uh, while we're talking about the the flashback stuff as well... Um there's a scene where Robert De Niro is like holding baby Michael. Mm-hmm. And that was like, this is your Oscar scene, dude. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah, it was because it's, it's silent. He's just looking, he's just, he's holding his, this, this, this young, young baby that mm. we know is going to grow up to be this fucking monster. Mm. Um, and just like the love he looks at him with, it's, it's such a bittersweet, but very well acted scene. I think, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about this, these films is how the, all the gangsters, all these ruthless criminals, how tender they are with their family. It's, it's so sweet. Like it's, yeah. it's like, um, so Vito dies in the first film playing with his grandson in an orange in like a little mm. mini orchard of oranges and it's just the sweet scene of a granddad and a grandson yeah it's, it's funny yeah because because he, he like he cuts up a an orange wedge to give himself yeah, yeah. like funny teeth and then he's like oh and it's like you're just an old man like yeah um yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's funny because you talk about like not not um glorifying mafia i um Anytime I watch a mafia film, I'm like fuck yeah, I'd love to have like bros like that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 just yeah, looking yeah. out for me and like people, yeah. Mm. But then it's like you're also probably getting get shot in the face at some point. <laughs> it's worth reflecting that eventually all these close people in all these mobsters' lives are killed to some degree with the, to the extent of Michael. Michael's very much the the Walter White grenade in the universe, right? Yeah. Like some something I've realized watching Better Call Saul was how well everything worked before Walter White showed up. Yeah, like yeah, Walter yeah. White's an actual like a nuclear bomb in the story. Mm. And it's the same with Michael is like these these movies talk on and on and on about how like nothing is more important than family. And with Don Vito you believe it, but Michael kills his brother, you yeah. know? Like Michael like clearly is not as good as Vito it's real, it's good stuff you know like it's 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 real it's real sinister um 
Brando, so that dinner scene flashback you talked about before, mm. uh, Brando was supposed to actually show up. You hear the door open and Don Vito walk in at the end of the scene. <laughs> there you go. Hey, it's Don Vito. <laughs> Come on. Uh, it's Don Vito, yes. <laughs> um, but Brando didn't return for the dinner flashback because he didn't like how uh, Paramount treated him. Um, he was supposed to be there but never showed up to set. So they rewrote the scene because Marlon Brando didn't show up. That's how close. So there's so many stories like this from the Godfather movies, yeah. like about someone not showing up or things changed at the last moment. And for the first two films, it was serendipitous and worked. And for the third uh, yeah. film, it's like this ruined the movie. Um, James Can did show up for that uh, flashback. He he dies in the first one, so isn't in most of the the um second film except for this flashback and he was able to negotiate the same paycheck he got for starring in two-thirds of the entire first film that's, that's cool. so he made fucking bank returning as sunny because but it's it's you would be you would it's good business right for for james can it's very it's very savvy yeah. because james can can read the scene and go you fucking need me in the scene this scene is undoable without yeah. Sonny in it. You know, <laughs> you can do it without without the Don. You can do it without Vito, but you need, you desperately need Sonny in it. So he's like, "Give me heaps of money, do it." You know. Yeah. There's um, I just saw the fun, funny story about James Can being um, uh, like so he's, he's not he's he's only really in the first one. He pops up in the second one, but um, uh, an elf, <laughs> the the mm-hmm. the Will Ferrell movie. Yep. He plays um, Will Ferrell's. Uh, yeah, his actual dad. dad, right? Or is it? Or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. But um, yeah. apparently, everyone was like, um, was terrified of James Can. Um, and mm. it was like, because you know, you're working with this like screen icon while you're making this kind of like dumb family mm. movie. And um, apparently, he's like, he's been known for being like an actual like a hilarious dude and like and stuff right. like that. But he's older now, and he's um, but like while working on on the film, uh, Will Ferrell um, like gave him a box set of The Godfather. <laughs> and was like left it on his uh, in his trailer with a note being like, "Hey, it's been so great working with you. You should check these out. The first the first one's pretty slow, but the second two are really good." <laughs> <laughs> and then apparently great. after that, it was like you know everyone kind of got along with them. <laughs> um, the yeah the I I was reading a lot about like the prank culture on set of the Godfather films, and how yeah. like everyone was like mooning each other, and Marlon Brando was crowned like King of the Moon or something. Yeah. Because- yeah, I watched the interview with Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall talked about it on um right. on Graham Norton, and he said that there's like while they're filming like the wedding scene, that was when they, um and Coppola was like, guys, like there's there's so many women and children here, can we just not do it today? Um, and they're like, this is what my butt looks like. But apparently, <laughs> um, and because yeah, because uh, Brando like got a belt made up that was like the king of mooning, and then yeah. um and Duvall like over overheard some girls, some woman being like. Um. Oh yeah, Duval was pretty funny, but my God, did you see the balls on Brando? <laughs> <laughs> he just has massive balls, apparently. That's hilarious. Um, cool. So, uh, going back to talking about who was and who wasn't returning for the second one, the character of Frank Pin Pin Jelly who's the guy who kills himself at the end, um, was a character created for what was originally Clemenzo's role in the story, which makes so much sense that now that I know that, right? Mm. But Because um, Clemenzo's such a major character in the first film. And um, yeah, and, and it just, it's clearly a role that 
just comes out of nowhere, and it clearly yeah. could have been Clemenzo. Um, but Richard S. Castellano uh, declined to return. He played Clemenzo as he and the producers could not reach an agreement on his demands that he be allowed to write his character's dialogue. The fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you even want that? What is that? <laughs> What kind of perk is that? That's so it weird. Was the, they'd had the, the, the improvising stuff, and he's like, fuck, I'm real good at this. <laughs> um, and it's, it's disappointing, though, because I liked Frankie as a character, but I think it would have been a lot more powerful with Clemenzo, like seeing a character we've already grown attached to through these tragic beats, and just like Fredo, it feels like him killing himself would have hit home just as hard as it did with Fredo getting shot out on the yeah. lake, right? Um and it's it's I'm like as soon as I read that I was like damn that would have been so good if it was Clemenzo. Clemenzo's in the flashbacks. He's one of Robert De Niro's Vito's friends, um, yeah. and he's always eating because he gets real fat by the time he's an old man. It's Clemenza, by the way. Cle- it's spelt Clemenzo. I mean, it's, it's got an A at the end of it, but yeah, <laughs> it's not. Well, I don't know. Everywhere I, I've copied this from. That's interesting. <laughs> it's a hundred percent Clemenza, and uh, maybe maybe I screwed a, up then. But, yeah. <laughs> um. So initial reviews of The Godfather Two were mixed. As I said, people found it confusing, poorly paced, unnecessary. Though, as as stated, it soon became the subject to critical reevaluation. To quote whoever, to quote whoever wrote this on Wikipedia, uh, many critics compare it favorably with the original, although it is rarely ranked higher on the list of the greatest films. So everyone's like, you you hear people be like, the second part's even better. But you never see it. You never see in these lists yeah, yeah, yeah. it get ranked higher, you know. Um, Roger Ebert, going back to what he, he thought of the film, uh, he awarded it three stars out of four and wrote that the flashbacks give Coppola the greatest difficulty in maintaining his pace and narrative force. The story of Michael told chronologically and without the other material would have really would have had really substantial impact, but Coppola prevents our complete involvement by breaking the tension. Though praising Pacino's performance and lauding Coppola as a master of mood, atmosphere, and period, Ebert considered the chronological shifts of its narrative a structural weakness from which the film never recovers so that's interesting i, I like i i can definitely see i mean I, don't, I haven't seen trailers or whatever for this film but if you didn't know that this was coming really like you're just, oh there's a new god i can't wait to see what michael happens and then it's like you have to keep pausing the film to see this other thing mm. and it's like well we already know how this story ends because uh, you know like prequels weren't really yeah like uh, still now aren't the very commonly done um no. and so the idea of like why am i seeing this when i know what happens to him this and where i want to see this i can imagine that would be incredibly jarring for an audience at the time yeah yeah, yeah exactly um it's gene siskel so uh, Roger Ebert's like partner in crime uh, gave the film three and a half stars out of four writing that it was at times a be- as beautiful as harrowing and as exciting as the original in fact the godfather part two may be the second best gangster movie ever made um, wow. but it's not the same and sequels can never be the same it's like being forced to go to the f- to a funeral the second time the tears just don't flow as easily uh, but Ebert would later recant and retrospectively awarded it a full four stars in a second review and in inducted the film into his great movies section praising the work as grippingly written directed with confidence and artistry um 
photo, photo, photographed by Gordon Willis, the cinematographer, in rich, warm tones, which makes me want to talk about the color palette before yeah. we move on. Because it is, I really like when films in a franchise are kind of signified by like a dominant color. Like the best thing about Godzilla King of the Monsters that it was like a blue movie compared to the first Godzilla's red movie, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I really like that. And this film is filmed in almost sepia for a lot of it. Like it's very warm. It's a very warm looking film. Whereas the first one is a lot more desaturated and, and things like that. And I, did you like the, the, the color palette? It certainly gives the film its own identity. Yeah, I, I did. I, I think it's cool. And it's, it's one of those things where you can see just a still from the film and know what it is. Yeah. 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 So it's good. All right. Dumb IMDb trivia, Richard. Um, So I've got two pieces here, which aren't dumb by themselves but together it's like why was this they and they were right next to each other on imdb trivia um francis ford coppola having nearly been fired several times from the first film was given a mercedes-benz limousine from paramount pictures as a reward for the record success of the godfather um and an incentive to direct a sequel he agreed on several conditions that the sequel be interconnected with the first film with the intention of later showing them together uh that he be allowed to direct his own script of the conversation and that he be allowed to direct a production of the san francisco opera and that he would be allowed to write the screenplay for the great gatsby all prior to production for for of the sequel for a christmas 1974 release so that was what he negotiated uh the next piece of trivia says francis ford coppola had a horrible time directing the godfather and asked to pick a different director for the sequel while taking the title of producer for himself he chose martin scorsese um who the film executives rejected thus coppola agreed to direct the film with a few conditions <laughs> And those few conditions, to reiterate, were... <laughs> like, I've just read all the... Just combine them into one piece of trivia. Yeah. That's one piece of trivia that's needlessly separated. That's so funny. Um, Merle Johnson, who played Troy Donahue, uh, but his real name is Merle Johnson. <laughs> so... <laughs> Merle Johnson was played by a guy named Troy Donahue, but Troy Donahue's real name is Merle Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, Connie's new husband at the start of the film. Um, according to Francis Ford Coppola on the DVD commentary, G.D. Spradlin wrote many of his own lines, including his anti-Italian speech to Michael. So he plays Senator Gary in the film. And it's like, wh why was he allowed to write his own dialogue and Clemenza wasn't? <laughs> why, am I, why was he allowed? To, why am I reading this now? Um, only best picture winner to, with a Roman numeral in its title. It's like, the, it's so many other things than just being the first one. With yeah. the, it's the first sequel. It's the, like, this, it's was, like, um, this was also the first American film to use a number to denote the yeah. sequel. Yeah, I had had that talked about in our, we talk about title section, um, but we can talk about it now, is that this is pretty Im important to the history of um, titles that we as we talk about, um, because part two is, yeah, as you say, is the first time that that the numerical sequel was used in america um paramount was initially opposed to this because they believed the audience would not be interested in an addition to a story that had already been seen uh, but the director prevailed and the film's success began the common practice of numbered sequels reading i've read so as you can imagine i'm sure richard i read that piece of trivia a hundred times and mm. researching this film right and it's funny every time it's like they didn't want to use part two because that implies you're watching the same movie again and it's like that is the opposite school of thought now yeah. now it's like you have to use the same title basically because it's a it's a brand loyalty thing yeah you know? yeah 
it's so interesting to see how different the the beliefs once were yeah um, but it's, it's interesting because like um uh the first sequel was uh the fall of a nation to uh, which is a sequel to the birth of a nation which is a great sequel title <laughs> mm, <laughs> to yeah, a horribly yeah. racist film but it, yeah, the yeah. titling man those racists <laughs> they know their titles <laughs> um after this is the last piece of dumb imdb trivia for part two after michael finds out fredo was the traitor uh, fredo protests and says that he didn't know it was going to be a hit but the tip off to michael that he was going that that he was going to be hit and that saved his life was when Kay asked him why the bedroom drapes were open, which gave Michael the split second he needed to take cover and save their lives. Since the trader had to be the one to leave the drapes open and the only possible reason to leave the drapes open was to give the assassin a clear shot where Michael was visible in the bedroom, Fredo had to know it was going to be a hit. It's like this, what are you talking about? It's like, <laughs> like I'm so, it's like, yeah, the, the thing, the character works out in the film yeah it was yeah it's like oh very clever you've certainly um like this is all absolutely subtext you know and they've written yeah yeah so someone someone was watching the film and with with that person and was like wait what why did he notice like what i don't get why the drapes being open but any any panicked and then they were they were able to explain why and they're like, yeah. well, maybe a lot of people are having this trouble with the film. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, Richard. So any more thoughts on Godfather Part 2 before we move on? Nah. It's just, it's just it's good. You should check it out. You should check it out. We should start saying that in every episode after we finish talking about each film. Yeah. Uh, the Godfather Part 3, 16 years later in 1990, uh, Francis Ford Coppola returned. Uh, what do you think this has on Rod Tomatoes? Uh, I know it's still fresh, um, despite being... It's, it's around like 70? 68. Right. So it's uh, exactly 30 points less. Ah, I was two off for all of mm. my guesses. Mm, there you go. Wow, very... Very poetic. Mm. What are you, Francis Ford Coppola and screenwriter Mario Puzo? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, d- definitively the 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 Fredo of the trilogy, The Godfather Part That's Three. Very funny. Um, I didn't make that up. That's said a lot over <laughs> in right. Godfather discourse. I cannot take credit for this. <laughs> um, what is The Godfather Part Three about? So this is about. Well, it's really about the death of Michael Corleone. Um, uh it's set much later um it, it revolves around the the real life um death of the pope in 1978 mm-hmm. um and the papal banking scandal of 1981 to 1982 um yeah, yeah this is like an aging michael corleone uh who's supposed to be about 60 i think um uh, i think pacino was 50 at the time mm. and yeah it's like his kids are growing up and it's yeah, it's a lot more like religious. It's about his involvement in the the Catholic Church. Again, this is this is another like kind of active watch one, which is mm. maybe harder to stay active with yeah, because the film isn't yeah. as good. I do want to talk about one thing, but I just want to barrel straight into my complaints. Um, <laughs> okay, I I have I, I my my biggest complaint about this film is something I have never noticed in another film. I've never thought to mention in another okay. film. The worst thing about this film is Michael's haircut is so wrong for the character. It's it's like, it's unfathomably bad. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, he's got this, this sporty young man's, like, spiky hairdo, 
and it's supposed to be like you're supposed to be making Al Pacino look 10 years older than he is and you give him like a really stylish haircut that looks like oh he's a bit of a silver fox and it's like what, what are you doing it's insane it's the wrong haircut yeah yeah um i agree i think that it's it's so it's i'm not sure where, what would i crack this nut open now um if i prematurely nut Richard, <laughs> I if i should um but i agree is the first thing that that stood out to me and i think his hair his hair being different from michael corleone's usual slicked back hair is something that um that is indicative of a larger problem with the film hmm. which is al pacino's acting tool set changed completely between yeah. part one and part two and part three right and, like his probably... voice and everything he became known for like rather than these deep complex characters he became yeah, yeah. known for like Hoo-ha! yeah <laughs> he, he became who are pacino um <laughs> and while i don't think the godfather part three uh, i don't think he's bad oh in no it's film, still a great performance don't get me wrong it's but it still feels like i'm watching al pacino rather mm. than michael corleone and a yeah. big visual indicator of that is is his hair. His hair. Um, yeah, yeah, and it is. Um, just talking more broadly about the film, it's funny because you. So once again, you and I have grown up in. We grew up in a world where we were born into a world where there was three Godfather movies and the third one is bad. Like that's that's a universally accepted fact from the time mm-hmm. we were born. But like, I don't think I. I knew the release dates of them, but I never really like put together. Yes. Yeah, how big of the gap it was. Yeah. I actually yeah, I was trying to think about like give an example. Um so a film that came out uh in nineteen seventy two and then had a sequel in nineteen seventy four and then had a sequel in nineteen ninety, that would be like a twenty twenty sequel to a two thousand two film which was followed by two thousand four, which actually um if Spider Man three had just come out this year, because one and two, two thousand two, two thousand four, and the third one was disappointing. Like it's actually like almost a perfect um, mm. comparison for the superhero genre. Yeah, yeah, actually that's true. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I didn't realize that either. I didn't realize the time was. I as you as essentially the same experience as you had. I knew The Godfather Three came out in nineteen ninety. I think what I actually thought was The Godfather Two came out in between. Right, right, right. I I, I was more shocked to see The Godfather Two came out in nineteen seventy four than The Godfather mm. Three being so much later. Yeah, I, like um, I knew it was seventy two, seventy four, and ninety, but it, I just mm. never sat and thought about like fuck that's ages <laughs> like yeah. yeah yeah i can definitely see how this is the weakest of the trilogy um i don't think it's terrible but it's bad enough that it's a disappointing finale and it stops me from regarding the godfather as the greatest trilogy of all time it's not the greatest trilogy lord of the rings is a better trilogy than right. the godfather yeah right? i mean it, it is um it's not a bad movie but it's like you're literally having to, to trying to compare it to two of the greatest films ever made right 16 years later yeah. that's where the the death blow is is that part two struck while the part one iron was hot right yeah. and by 1990 the godfather duology had been well established as like the unbeatable nexus of american cinema yeah. right like this is this is the, this is it and then 16 years later it's 1990 you make a sequel it's like well obviously this is not going to do well um even just aesthetically part three is clearly shot in a different era of filmmaking mm. and this is off-putting the first two films feel like old hollywood classics while part three is very much a 90s film yeah 
you know. Um, so, yeah, I didn't hate it, but it's bad enough to be like you could have done better. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. Um, Sophia Coppola, who plays Mary Corleone in this film, Michael's daughter, um, is unfortunately pretty fucking bad <laughs> this movie she had delivers a terrible performance um and while i thought that andy garcia who plays um vincent who is who becomes the new don towards the end of the film he delivered one of the better f- performances in the film i don't understand why there needed to be a cousin on cousin romance between sofia coppola's character and andy yeah. garcia's character like they are cousins and they get together and it's mentioned one or once or twice in the film that they're first cousins but it's not really regarded as out of the ordinary well, yeah because she the says conflict- yeah, cause pacino says your first cousins and she says then i'll love him first yeah which is like okay and he's like that's fine <laughs> I, like it's it's the conflict comes from more vincent's uh want to be a gangster is too like um michael's like well you can't be with my daughter then because you want you want in on this life yeah and it's not you can't be with my daughter because you're fucking first cousins that's never that's never brought up um and digging into why francis ford coppola chose to film scenes of his daughter making out with her character's cousin is the kind of freudian rabbit hole i was worried i was gonna have to fall into here but it turns out that sophia coppola's casting it was just one of the many omens which troubled this entire production like this is one of those things where you read everything that went wrong before before filming started and you're like this is not gonna match the first two you know this yeah. is not going to create the greatest trilogy yeah of time. it um it is funny as well because um uh so sophia coppola is playing and having a romance with her cousin but um she also talia shire who's been in all three of these movies is connie um mm. uh is actually uh sophia coppola's aunt because yeah. he, she's francis uh, coppola's sister yeah um so first to to go through these omens and just give you guys an idea and you richard if you don't know of all the bullshit that you know the the stars which aligned and the forces of fate that clearly didn't want this film to be made um let's go through a few of them now so first of all coppola didn't even want to make a third part you you stop there you stop there paramount Mm. right like the greatest one of the greatest directors of all time made two of the greatest films of all time doesn't want to do it maybe don't do it um and he he stated that only dire financial situations caused by the failure of his film one from the heart in 1982 compelled him to take up paramount's long-standing offer to make a third installment coppola and puzzo preferred the title the death of michael corleone (laughs) Um, but Paramount Pictures found that unacceptable. Uh, the general idea you'll see repeated over and over again by Coppola and his defenders is that it was less part three and more of an epilogue, and calling it part three implies it's the definitive third chapter. You know, it's not supposed to be part three, it's supposed to be its own thing. I understand what he means, I don't think I agree. It is still the third yeah. story in the series. Yeah. And it's even if it was called The Death of Michael Corleone which I don't think is a very good title. I don't think, mm. I don't think it would change. I this. think it would be a good title if it was like, uh, Mario Puzo's the Godfather Coda, the death of Michael <laughs> Corleone. Like, I think that's probably a better title. I just, I just came up with that myself. Yeah. If only, um, Robert Duvall, uh, is notably absent from this film. His yeah, character notably. is not in it. 
Notably, yeah. He refused to take part unless he was paid a salary comparable to Pacino's. Uh, when Duval dropped out, Coppola rewrote the screenplay to portray Tom Hagen, who is Robert Duval's character, as having died before the story begins and created the character of B.J. Harrison, played by George Hamilton, to replace Hagen's character in the story. Do you remember B.J. Harrison in The Godfather Part 3? Uh, Yes. I don't. I have no memory of this character. So <laughs> yeah. clearly the, I, the role was also, you know. Yeah, it, it is interesting because it's like, the, you know, if, if if it feels like had he agreed, this should have been a different film. Like it should have been more about mm. like the, the fall of the relationship between him and Tommy. Um, yeah, yeah. Like if you if the film had been about like the final person in his life that was there for him, betraying yeah. him or, or that, that's that relationship ending somehow, you know, like that, yeah, that would have been so much better. Yeah, and I mean, you're potentially onto something here because Coppola stated that to him, the movie feels incomplete without Duval's participation. Um, According to Coppola, had Duval agreed to take part in the film, the Hagen character would have been heavily involved in running Corleone's charities. Um, Duval confirmed in 2010 uh, that he never regretted the decision of turning down the role because we haven't really mentioned this yet, but this film is about Michael wanting to be legitimate and wanting like yeah. he's very clearly like wrecked with guilt and wanting to make the corleone family yeah yeah the the the, the guilt over fredo's death is a huge mm. through line of it um but yeah it's interesting because duval said yeah he's never regretted it but it's like yeah of course you're like oh fuck i managed to get out and not do the shit one but it's like it, yeah. pro- it might not have been shit if you were in it not yeah. that it's shit yeah. but you know that's the the general consensus of it i think it's shit enough to call it shit you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we're talking the difference between. Well, but I just I know I know people are going to comment and be like the third one's actually not that bad. It's like so you know, and it isn't. Yeah, but a thirty, <laughs> uh, you should judge a franchise based on yeah. what the best one is, yeah, right? Yeah. And a thirty percent Rotten Tomatoes drop in any franchise is bad. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Uh. So. Julia Roberts, Madonna, Rebecca Schaefer, and famously Winona Ryder up until the day of shooting uh, were all in the running to play Mary Corleone, but they all either dropped out of the race uh, or dropped out of the film, were rejected or murdered. Do you know about Rebecca Schaefer? Murdered. That's crazy. That sucks. Like that. That's that's like getting murdered. That would fucking suck. As soon as I said that, I was like, "You are understating murder, AJ." (laughs) (laughs) Um. That's crazy. I'd, I'd, I'd never heard about that before. And I did, fell into a little um, rabbit hole that... Yeah, it was killed by an obsessed fan, eh? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that um, sucks, man. That sucks, like, bro. murdered by a stalker? That's so wacky. <laughs> so Winona Ryder silly. was very close to playing Mary Corleone, um, but dropped out the day before shooting, as I said, because she was she fainted and was diagnosed with exhaustion. Mm. Um, there are some like conspiracy theories that Johnny Depp, who was her boyfriend at the time, convinced her to do it, um, and she was in Edward Scissorhands around the same time. Um, I don't know. But ultimately, Sophia Coppola, the director's daughter, was given the role of Michael Corleone's daughter, and her much-criticised performance resulted in her father's being accused of nepotism, um, which, as... Coppola and uh, many people have pointed out has kind of like a touch of irony to it considering the film ends with a shot meant for Michael hitting and killing Mary Mm -hmm. Um, so it's in both real life and in the film the daughter pays the price for the father's sins yeah like Um, watching the film and and knowing that it was like she was put into the role at the last second 
um and is not a strong actor probably by her own admission um fantastic director right so it's yeah. like whatever yeah, she's got her own thing going um she's like i i i overwhelming my feeling was just that i felt really sorry for her yeah absolutely absolutely because it's like she's gonna be getting all this hate like her entire life and it's like i didn't want this and like she had <laughs> what a day to prepare mm. Mm. yeah it sucks man that sucks that's as bad as getting murdered <laughs> um uh yeah so and it's it's just it's so god it's such a shame and i feel real bad for for her um but that that little parallel that the daughter paying the price for the father's sins might be the best thing about the film on, on like a, a holistic <laughs> viewing of it mm. right um so roger ebert uh going back to him he stated that it is not even possible to understand this film without knowing the first two which does go against coppola's insistence that this is an epilogue it's like well, it's not a very good epilogue is it if it's <laughs> yeah yeah you know so intrinsically tied and uh, nonetheless ebert wrote an enthusiastic review um he gave it three and a half stars which was what he gave the godfather part two before his re-evaluation mm. i mean he defended sophia coppola um and said there is no way to predict what kind of performance uh francis ford coppola might have obtained from winona Ryder, the experienced and talented young actress who was originally set to play this role but i think sophia coppola brings a quality of her own to mary corleone a certain upfront vulnerability and simplicity that i think are appropriate and right for the role uh gene siskel seems to politely disagree um <laughs> with this defense of um sophia coppola and he said she was out of her league um she's supposed to be andy garcia's love interest but no sparks fly he's more like her babysitter yeah gene siskel he's also more like her first cousin <laughs> um, uh leonard moulton giving the film three out of four stars stated that the film is masterfully told but the sophia but the casting of sophia coppola is an almost fatal flaw what do you think uh yeah i mean is it a fatal flaw? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's like it's supposed to be like the heart of the film, you know? Yeah. Um, and oh. yeah, there's it's it's a not a beating heart. Yeah, yeah, and I I saw some other people talking about the film like at the time. Um, I saw one review saying like it is unforgivably bad, which again, it's bad enough that yeah. it's a disappointment i don't know if it's unforgivingly bad um and i also saw another thing saying that like the in most cases sequels are optional um like you didn't have to make the godfather 2 it's yeah. an option but you the godfather part 3 is an inevitability and the the place i i agree i think where the godfather part 2 ends i don't think the story's over personally i want to see more I want to see the death of Michael Corleone, which we see yeah. in this film, and it, I, I didn't like. Walk us through what happens. Uh, so the film, in, yeah, like we said, like you mentioned, that um, she Mary ends gets up shot. taking a bullet, um, and he she screams. falls to her knees. <laughs> she yeah. falls to her knees and looks up at, at Al Pacino, you know, the greatest actor of, of a generation, Al Pacino, and goes, "Dad." <laughs> <laughs> so bad it's so such a the words it's you remember maria marion cotillard and oh, the yeah, dark knight yeah. rises died it's like along with that is one of the worst actor death scenes I think I've ever seen. <laughs> um but yeah and pacino's like uh, yeah his his grief is like i would have loved to see 1974 mm. um al pacino react to this death 
rather yeah. than like and he, he screams and he, goes, <laughs> <laughs> he just screams who are and he's like she had a great ass because this family is clearly okay with incest um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah he um and then it just like again we get like a fade oh, it, it, it goes to a montage of him with Kay and his first wife um and then it just cuts to years later um he's got old man makeup on and then he just slumps over in his chair and dies drops an orange which is a symbol of death mm. across the whole uh, but it's like yeah it's it's i don't know it's supposed to be this poetic thing wait does he fucking drop an orange maybe he doesn't <laughs> uh yeah i don't remember the orange dropping he has There's a, a lot of oranges he has a hat on um right but yeah i i um i, don't know, I thought it was unsatisfying a little bit and and seeing old man makeup on al pacino it, it, it wasn't as good as like the brando makeup i'll say this i think that it is when you're talking about the concept of the death of michael corleone and you're like imagining this tragedy i think it is tragic that he lives a full life while everyone around him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. don't get me wrong i like Um, the idea i just didn't like the way it was played out right um, so part three was actually nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Andy Garcia, uh, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Art Direction and Set Direction, um, Best Music, and, uh, but, uh, and sorry, and Best Music, but it is the only film in the series to not have Al Pacino nominated, um, and it was the only film in the trilogy to not wis- win Best Picture, uh, Dances with Wolves won Best Picture that year, if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't win any of the Academy Awards, uh, as well as being Got the American only Hustled. film in the trilogy. Huh? Got American Hustled. Right, there you go. No, American Hustle got Godfather Part 3 dude. <laughs> um, uh, it didn't win any award, and as well as the only film in the trilogy not selected for preservation by the US National Film Registry. A pretty... You know, that's a blow. That's That says everything, I think. Um, so it didn't win any Oscars, but it did win a couple of Golden Raspberry Awards. Mm. <laughs> Both for Sofia Coppola, uh, Worst Supporting Actress and Worst New Star. Um, so when you go on the Wikipedia pages for these movies, and you go down to awards, the first two it's like all the Oscars it won, and then the third one it's all the raspberries it won. <laughs> um, which has a certain poetry to a it. A certain je ne sais quoi. Yeah, as the Italians say... Jenna, say quoi? <laughs> I thought I actually thought about looking up what Jenna say quoi is in Italian, or what um, I guess what oh. I don't know what is yeah. in Italian. It has a certain um, uh, mamma mia. It has a certain uh, mamma mia. I'm gonna look it up. I don't know what in Italian. How to say I don't know in Italian? Non lo so. It has a certain non lo so. <laughs> there we go okay um according to imdb robert de niro lobbied for the role of vincent mancini um francis ford coppola considered it uh which would have included aging al pacino's character or al pacino's michael corleone even more for vincent and mary to be of similar ages but eventually decided against the idea but i do think that is a pretty fucking interesting piece of trivia Uh, i missed who you said the actor Oh, Robert De Niro. Right. So he would have played yeah, a yeah. young Vito and a... So so Vincent is Sonny's son, illegitimate son. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a there's credence to that idea. I don't know if it's a bad idea, but there you go. 
Um, and similar to, but maybe not as surprising, similar to when I said that um, keep your friends closer and your enemies closer is from The Godfather 2, possibly. The Godfather 3 is It's actually where uh, Hua comes from. Yeah, it's from where Hua is from. No, it's, it's where um, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in is from, which I knew was from a movie, but... It's funny that we talked about how like you you ingest you passively ingest yeah. so much of the Godfather one and none of the God or barely any of the Godfather two. I didn't think I knew anything about the Godfather yeah. three, but I knew that line, so there you go. Yeah. Like I hadn't even seen his haircut. Yeah. Like that it was a shock to me when I opened <laughs> when I started the film. Um there's I, I have these three movies on DVD and they're like um they've, they've it's like it was clearly you know they re-released all of them it was like a 4k re-release even though it's on dvd so it's only like 480 but um mm. it's um the sh- there's a shot on this on each of them that has like the lead actor of each film and on the second film i cannot tell if it's a picture of robert de niro or al pacino mm. i know what you mean i thought so too um what are some things you like about the godfather part three uh, is there anything specific you want to be like i know i've trash talked it but i did i did enjoy this moment or i did enjoy this part i know i did have some while watching it but i cannot remember them i liked when they go to sicily and anthony sings the godfather theme song oh, yeah. in opera because he becomes an operatic performer um and that felt like kind of the like metatextual I don't know. I, I enjoyed that that mm. he that he sings the the Godfather theme tune. I thought that was cool, um, and it has quite a profound effect on Michael as well because it reminds him of his first wife who was killed in Sicily yeah, in the first film. Because he remembers film. the music from the first film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, I've got a couple of pieces of dumb IMDb trivia for um, the godfather part three before we can move on to continue the franchise towards the end of the show wow so here is the dumb imdb trivia al pacino was offered five million dollars but wanted seven million plus a percentage of the gross to reprise his role as michael francis ford coppola refused and threatened to rewrite the script by starting off with michael's funeral sequence instead of the film's introduction pacino agreed to the five million dollar offer do you know how many stories i've read that are about actors angrily negotiating things to be in the sequels and it's like did pacino and coppola even fucking like each other this sounds like friendship ruining like disagreements you know he threatened to rewrite the film and it's like i wonder if it is just business and it's just their 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 agents yelling back at each other Mm. but it seems crazy that like you'd agree to work with who I would imagine before reading any of this would be quite a rewarding (laughs) who I would imagine (laughs) Hua! <laughs> um, Francis Ford Coppola was interested in making Michael Corleone pay for his sins in the third chapter. Did he really? do it? <laughs> wow, very cool. Um, three years before the film was released, the title was used for an episode of Cheers. <laughs> There's an episode of Cheers called The Godfather, Part 3. Um, which similar thing happened with Malcolm in the Middle. There's an episode of Malcolm in the Middle called Home Alone Four, which came out before Home Alone Four. There's also so there an episode know. of Spin City called Back to the Future Part Four. Wow! Cause, Hopefully, because Christopher Lloyd guest stars in it. Right there, you go. Maybe that'll that'll mean sometime in the future. <laughs> we'll get Back to the Future Four. 
Now we're going to move on to the final segment of the show, or the final real segment of the show. There's a couple of... Yeah, we've got this fucking dumb other one. <laughs> but this is Continue the Franchise, where we each pitch a continuation of the franchise. But before we do that, we're going to discuss some, you know, the, the various non-film or future connections that The Godfather has to uh, more more content coming out. And this is a pretty chock-a-block list. Um, so let's discuss the most immediate continuations of The Godfather. Um, Coppola stated that the idea of a fourth film was discussed, but Mario Puzo died before they were able to write the film. A Fuck, potential script. Sucks. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. It, it would suck. It would. <laughs> it would suck. Um, a potential script told in a similar narrative to Part Two would have included De Niro reprising his role as a younger Vito Corleone in the 1930s. Leonardo DiCaprio was slated to portray a young Santino Corleone, so Sonny, uh, gaining the Corleone's family's political power, and Andy Garcia reprising his role as Vincent during the 1980s, running the family business through a 10-year destructive war, haunted by the death of his cousin Mary, and eventually losing the family's respect and power. Garcia has since claimed the film's script was nearly produced um not a bad sounding film uh it yeah. does feel like the 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 horses the dead horses being beaten a bit too much but yeah this it's point. insane to think that like there would be a fourth part you know yeah yeah um but i do like the idea of a of a dicaprio playing a young sonny and i do like it, it just it's a good idea it's not a bad idea you know yeah. it's, there's, there's legs on it um, in September 2020, um, we talked about this recently, the film's 30th anniversary, for the film's 30th anniversary, it was announced that a new cut of The Godfather Part 3 was being edited. Um, it will be titled Mario Puzo's The Godfather, Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. Uh, it will have a limited theatrical release in December, followed by a digital release. He got there. He got there in the end. Yay, yeah. well done, Coppola. It'll be interesting to see. Like, I wonder if there's just all these unused takes of Sofia Coppola that are amazing. Yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah. What and, is, is it? Yeah. yeah. Like, is, is it salvageable? That's the question, isn't it? Like, what are, gonna, what are we looking at here? But it would and be like, interesting because of, you look at how um, much better reviewed uh, part two was with time. I wonder if people are ready to be like, the third one's pretty good and a better mm. cut is going to when it gets released people are going to see it and be like this is actually pretty good you know mm. yeah and if i look if i hadn't read his reasoning for wanting to call it that i would have complained that if you have if your sequel is called part two you are contractually obligated to make your the next one called part three uh but if it is as he says kind of envisioned as a different beast altogether yeah. i can maybe get behind the godfather coda it's just a clunky look at that this well i can't there's four sections of a t of the title. A title should never have more than three sections. Yeah. This is Mario Puzo, The Godfather, Coda, colon, The Death of Michael Corleone. <laughs> now, in terms of other sequels and continuations, it might be interesting to look at Mario Puzo's Godfather novels and its sequels, which were written by uh, Mark Weingardner and Ed Falco. These include The Sicilian in 1984, written by Puzo, and The Godfather Returns in 2004, and The Godfather, the Godfather's Revenge in 2006, which were by Weingardner, and The Family Corleone by Falco in 2012. Mario Puzo also wrote a couple more novels which were very similar but not explicitly related to The Godfather canon, including The Last Don in 1996 and Omerta in 2000. 
Um, so there's that. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of his novels, Mario Puzo's The Sicilian, which is a sequel to The Godfather novel, uh, was actually adapted into film in 1987 and was directed by man who sold his soul for one chance at making a great movie, Michael Cimino, so the Deer <laughs> yeah. Hunter director, um, who went on, as you said, to only direct Critical Abomination so bad it caused a lot of critics to actually reassess their praise for the Deer Hunter, which is one of my favourite like tidbits in Hollywood. It's like, <laughs> your career being so bad that people go, man... Was the one thing you made actually that good? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so yeah, the Sicilian. It's, it's, that's pretty interesting. It's also um, Mario Puzo. I just found this out that um, like the only other kind of like major noteworthy films he he wrote were Superman one and two. Oh wow, that's yeah. awesome! There you go. And um, the Sicilian, the film, uh, is included in this repertoire of not very good films that um chimino made after uh the deer hunter i was torn apart by critics and is generally accepted as to be definitively not part of the godfather film canon um so we didn't miss a film or anything. yeah well yeah and also it like it completely they it was rewritten to not yeah yeah like all um, the characters have different names and whatnot but yeah so the first two Godfather films were edited into a four-episode TV miniseries in 1977 called The Godfather Saga, which included a couple of additional scenes and a couple of subtracted scenes. Um, a new version was made in 1992 after the release of the third film called The Godfather Trilogy, 1901 to 1980. Uh, there have also been three video games based on the series, a side-scroller in 1991 called The Godfather, released on the Amiga, the Atari ST, and MS-DOS, and two open-world shooters based on the first two films released in 2009 and 2000, uh, 2006 and 2009, respectively, for PC and then Xbox and then Xbox 360, and then PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3, um, yeah. which I've seen a lot of footage for from the, a channel I watch called Mini-Me, um, and it's pretty funny. You can make your own, you design your own character in the Godfather 2 PlayStation 3 game, and so this the, the Mini-Me, the, the YouTuber, he made his character look like Colonel Sanders, and he's just <laughs> like running around as Colonel Sanders in the Godfather Part 2 storyline. Um, I believe the first game you take the role of a character who is like in the place of a character who's in the film, but they replace him with a, I can't remember who it is, but yeah. So I don't think they're particularly revered PlayStation games, but it's, it interests me that they exist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that a God, that Godfather games were made. Um, I think that's pretty funny. So there is enough extra media for The Godfather to, I thought, when re when looking all this up, to run a pretty comprehensive Godfather-based podcast where you cover one piece of media per episode. Uh -huh. And then I wrote, wait, that's my continue the franchise. <laughs> Oh, as, a, nice. as a podcast where, where like <laughs> you do the, the 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 first three episodes are on the first three films and then you do the sicilian and then you read a novel and then you do the video games and, like there's so much that you could go for quite a few episodes before running out of you know media to mine from nice. um like see that. so, that's my continue the franchise as a podcast um i was thinking yeah. of a title for it it could be called um an offer we couldn't refuse nice it's interesting that's the first time we've referenced that line of dialogue in an ah. over two hour podcast <laughs> um i thought about it like an hour ago and i was like that's funny i wonder if i might bring that up at the end um but yeah there you go well it was brought up at the end yep i couldn't refuse it i wouldn't let you um anyway <laughs> my um my continue the franchise 
uh, is just fucking just try the third one again. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> still alive. Like Al Pacino, right. it's like yeah, like make it now that he's like he is actually fucking old. <laughs> like, and and he's got old people here, mm. and get, get I don't know, not Winona Ryder necessarily, but get someone else to play Sofia Coppola. Like, it's it's an idea that's not rotten to the core, but you know, or you right. could do de aging technology on Al Pacino. I think yeah. it work it works on him. I thought I thought he looked the best in the Irishman. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're you're pitching um, Terminator Dark Fating, the the Godfather series. Yes, ignoring everything after the second one. That's a good idea, Richard. You know who'd be a good Mary Corleone? Who? Saoirse Ronan. Oh, sure. She looks Italian-American. Yeah, are there any Italian-American actresses? No, I only want to cast Irish. I mean, Irish Irish and Italian-American are both, you know, mobby. They both start with I. Yeah. Madonna? Well, Madonna was originally rejected because she was too old. Yeah. Well, I mean, now she's probably all right. I mean, I think the reason it won't Alexandra happen... Daddario? I don't think she's a good enough actress. Does she? Lady you Gaga? want you want you want someone you want to cast someone who will win an Oscar for their role Lady, as Mary Lady Corleone. Gaga. Yeah. Yeah, Lady Gaga. Linda, Linda Cardellini. Good... Mm. I don't know if she fits the part. Um, I was going to say that you say no one's died. Mario Puzo has died, and I think Coppola yeah, probably like we doesn't want to do it. Him kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, but also Coppola's still alive. But maybe in an ultimate show of like parallel between the the films and the real life, maybe Sofia Coppola directs The Godfather Part Three. Yeah, Redux, you know, starring Bill Murray is um yeah yeah now like, I was like Sofia Coppola is a very different director to Francis Ford Coppola though so maybe yeah. this wouldn't be as <laughs> um but yeah I think ah that's a good idea I wonder why they haven't done that maybe because this trend is a relatively new thing of yeah but yeah no that's a good idea thank you no you know what he'd fucking call it though what he'd call it the death of Michael Corleone. <laughs> nothing nothing can stop him now yeah what about awesome um, he, he just gets gia coppola to play it who's like his, his granddaughter isn't she directing a film i think so yeah. yeah mainstream that's the name of the film yeah just just describing her <laughs> cool okay so richard uh now it's just time to rank that franchise do you want to do the honors of ranking mm. uh yeah so we have a list of every franchise we've ever watched um uh well almost every franchise we've ever watched oh yeah fun fact <laughs> we never ranked a cinderella story for some reason that that got skipped when we ranked the franchise in the the franchise ranking episode we did last year which is not only like oh that's a bummer but all year long we've been saying this is our arguably our hundredth franchise it's like this means that that james bond was definitively not our 100th <laughs> franchise you know our hundredth franchise was just the Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, um, Yu-Gi-Oh was the two hundredth episode of the podcast, and we didn't mention it. Um, man, we're bad. We're coming up on our five hundredth film watched for film franchise Fortnite. Yeah. As well. uh, do we want to add a Cinderella story now? <laughs> yeah. 
Let's add a Cinderella story and just real quickly rank it. I don't. Okay, wanna... cool. Cinderella story. They weren't very good, so I think they can be uh, better or worse than Bring It On. Um, better than Bring It On. You reckon? <laughs> we just have this big argument. <laughs> where, where, is, where is Bring It On on the list? Uh, One hundred four. I'm gonna put. Yeah. I I I think it's like the 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 best Cinderella story isn't as good as the best Bring It On. But the sequel, fuck, dude, the sequels to Bring It On are so bad. So the ones just oh no actually we kind of did have <laughs> the sequels okay. to the sequels to Cinderella story are better than a Cinderella story. <laughs> okay, I'm like putting it. a Cinderella story at a hundred because I think it's poetic. So it's one better than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow, but it's not as good as Cats and Dogs. And it's better than Yu Gi Oh. <laughs> I'm going to swap Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Cats and Dogs. Okay. Okay. We're so just now going crazy. Ninety nine. 99 is TMNT, 100 is Cinderella Story, 101 is Cats and Dogs, 102 is Yu-Gi-Oh. Okay, now now, the, the, now to move those all down a place, presumably, um, by adding The Godfather. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've talked about, like, it's it's potentially potential that like people have discovered this podcast because it's like, oh, it's a go- I love The Godfather. I'm a classy film buff. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, why are they fucking talking about a Cinderella story? (laughs) All all class has just immediately been sucked out of this episode. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going pretty high with the Godfather. It's currently it's currently at 115, um, and I'm gonna I feel comfortable moving it up from there. Um, I think, and I think so. I think I've put it somewhere. I want to see if you agree with me. Okay, so for context, our current top 10, top yep. 10 franchises we've ever watched at 10 going down is, uh, or going to, from 10 to 1 at 10 is Mad Max, then Monsters, Inc., then Shrek, then Lord of the Rings, then uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, then Iron Man, With then the Scream, or oh, the MCU, sorry, then Scream, Mission Impossible, Back to the Future, Toy Story at number one. Um, I think this should overtake Shrek. <laughs> Interesting. I put it third. You reckon it's better than Mission Impossible? Uh, yeah, I think it's like, it's the same thing. That's like, they both have one film that isn't as good as the rest, but I would say Godfather 1 and 2 are better than any Mission Impossible films. You're right. Fuck, it is. Fuck, that's insane. Which is funny because Lord of the Rings, so Lord of the Rings, we need. To, I've written this in the notes, that Lord of the Rings is at seven, which is pretty low, but... In my opinion, and I I, th- I think you are agree with, agree. I uh, know I completely that, disagree. That while the <laughs> Hobbit, um, shouldn't necessarily be judged in the same section as Lord of the Rings, the fact that they are related is like an anchor tied to the Lord of the Rings. There, and the Lord of the Rings is is good enough that it's still in the top ten, but the Hobbit does drag it mm. down. I think from where it could be, which is potentially in that top three space. Yeah, I I disagree. I th- I think that it's like we're ranking them in a vacuum. But I then, think this I, is in a vacuum. Yeah, I I get what you mean though, because it's like because we do talk about cultural significance and things like Fast and the Furious is quite high, even though all the films aren't good. But it's like the story <laughs> of it as a franchise yeah. is is so well, exactly. fun and interesting. Exactly. Uh, but also, so- and same same with The Godfather. Like the fact that it's like you have two of the greatest films ever made universally agreed upon and then you follow it up 16 years later and it's like it's it's poetic you know yeah that that the third one isn't as good is this the is this like the earliest distant sequel Uh, it's a very early example of a distant sequel yeah that was the earliest one um yeah man man fuck it is three isn't it because 
Because Back to the Future, I would say, I, 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 a lot of people disagree, but I think all three of those, well, first one's obviously the best, but two and three are like on par with each other, more or less. Or the, like, uh, the, 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 um, kind of decline. My, I mean, my, I, I could, I could listen to an argument that the Godfather could be. Yeah, I was about to say that, that, that Back to the Future has been something I've quietly off pod grown to be like, it doesn't really deserve number two because. Well, should we bump it off? Well, okay. Personally, I always preferred the second Back to the Future. I always thought that was the best one. But I think part of growing up is accepting that the the first one is the best one. Yeah. And I do think the third one isn't as good as two and one. Yeah. And so I was thinking about this and it's like, the reason Back to the Future is in the second spot is actually because I really love each movie individually. Mm. But... As and they're all franchise. doing something different, and, and they're not just like... That's super creative, yeah. Yeah, it's creative. But as a franchise, maybe it's not actually one I like as a franchise. It's still it's still top 10. I am i don't think I could say Godfather knocks Toy Story, but I think, I think Godfather might be number two, dude. Damn. Let's do it. Damn. That's crazy. That's, this is like, the first that, that's time. That's as bad as getting murdered. <laughs> this is the this is the first time since doing the ranking the franchise episode that a franchise we've done has broken into the top 10 mm. yeah the, uh, the highest ones from this year are terminator and casino royale which are now yeah. uh 12 and 13 and well look fuck while we're re-ranking things man we had a conversation at one point months ago about maybe terminator needs to be reconsidered because it has a good sequel or a superior sequel, and most franchises don't. Yeah. Um. And so, do we want to re-rank Terminator? Yeah, fuck like, it. Let's put it in the top ten. <laughs> where do you think it should go? Number one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're at least putting it above Mad Max. Monsters, which Inc. is at, at ten. Do you reckon the Terminator franchise is better than the Monsters Inc. franchise? Well, if it's not above Monsters Inc., it's not in the top ten because you you're looking at the non-updated list. Of course. Sorry about that. Um, I refreshed it. It's still not updated. Yeah, because I haven't saved it. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Try it now. Um, I think. Hmm. Is the question the real question is? <laughs> is Terminator the franchise better than the Shrek series? <laughs> I think that's the real question here. Right. Yeah. I'm not. I don't think Terminator as a series is better than Lord of the Rings. So that's my like definitive. Okay. Line. I think it's better than Shrek. Yeah. Sweet. Because, and yeah, while it, we're it, here, Richard, no. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's like yeah, it's the story of the franchise, and yeah. so that's that's why because people are going to be like, I imagine that people would look at this list and be like, really, The Godfather? Like, even though number three is shit, like, but you're it, still looking at two thirds of a franchise being monumentally yeah. great, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we did it. Damn. Well, Richard, we've, all we've got left to do now is talk about what our next franchise is going to be, which is going to be airing during Spooktober. So we have asked our Patreon to suggest and vote on a bunch of spooky film franchises um, for us to cover. Um, well, for the next one, we're going to do a spooky film franchise suggested by patrons as our next franchise in two weeks. And then after two weeks after that, we'll do a randomly selected franchise roulette of spooky film franchises and um before you if you want to tell us what what won out the vote richard before we do that 
Um, I would just like to say that if you enjoyed this podcast, then please consider supporting us on all the different various networks. You can uh, like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to uh, us on YouTube. We have both a video channel for like video essays and stuff and a podcast channel, which you could be listening to this episode on. Um, You can also follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Letterboxd. All of these places are at Cult Popture. Um, And you can also email us at cultpopturemedia at gmail.com. Join the Cult Popture Discord. Please join the Cult Popture Discord. I need to start saying that up the top of the episode because that is where the bustling metropolis of the Culpopture community has really sprung forth so join the discord um and you can also support us on patreon if you like at patreon.com slash um richard what is the first franchise of spooktober which we're going to be covering uh it's going to be blade the blade trilogy okay I would call them probably more action movies than spooky movies, but this oh my is fucking the, god, the, dude! The, this the, was your this whole operation was your idea. You you got so mad that your Google Hangouts busted <laughs> up in between. It was like, oh my! All I heard was like, oh my god, dude! You operation, <laughs> your idea. Um, I just did it again the, to, yeah. to when you were doing it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think it's like this is a, a fun. You know, if you're yep, going to force absolutely. us to do a spooky franchise, oh come on, we, we, um, we I like the do idea it. that it's like, nah, fuck you, AJ. We're doing one that's mostly an action movie. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. All right. Well, we will see uh, you. Fair enough. Next. I will wear that albatross around my neck. <laughs> 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 you know what? You're right. Um, and so <laughs> next week, have we planned what we're doing for next week's episode? Yeah, we uh, have, haven't we? Yes. Yes. Cool. So that'll also be a, a, a spooky themed thing. Um, so tune in for that. And, and but if you st- if you are sensitive um, to things being spooky, maybe give the podcast a break for a month. Because <laughs> you're going to get spooked. L- listening to someone describe a scary movie is as scary as... <laughs> Um, cool. So, it's, all and right. it's Blade as well. Like, it's yeah. not even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. We're, stay tuned for the post credit scene after the music stops playing. And thank you for joining us for our uh, 115th franchise, uh, <laughs> apparently, which is the Godfather trilogy. Let us know what you thought of the series um, in any of those and ways I, that I said like, before. I would have to double check, but this podcast might be our the ratio of films there are versus time to like duration of podcast you know might be one of the biggest because it's like you know two and a half hour podcast for three films maybe who's to say they're long films all right everybody catch you later bye peace All right, welcome to uh, the Godfather the, Coda, the the podcast post credit scene, um, the Podfather. That's that's been done, hasn't it? A hundred percent. The Podfather. That's the, the name of my podcast. Continue the franchise. <laughs> Obviously, that's what it's called, the Podfather. Anyway, um.
we this is a segment of our show that we do at the end where if you donate five dollars or more on our patreon you get to give us something to talk about a question a challenge a game to play with each other uh, for these final moments and today our question comes from matthew vose um who's probably got the record for most post-credit scenes at this stage because he sent us a whole bunch of them and we just split them up and scattered them throughout but this is his last one that he sent us and it is one of the weirdest and most unanswerable questions i've ever been asked (laughs) um which is what's your favorite use of communications technology in film and it's like matthew i don't know (laughs) 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 yeah like we've been this is we record these in batches usually and Every time we go, all right, have you thought of an answer for, for Matt's yet? He's like, no. I, I, like, I've been, it's been in the back of my mind for so long. And it's like, yeah. it, it feels like the kind of thing that, like, Matthew, I would love to know your answer to this because yeah, I, yeah. you clearly have one. And, yeah. and, and, and we're clearly going to be like, oh, of course that's it. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Um, favorite communications technology in film. So, like, a piece uh, like a something like a futuristic cell phone like or like the star wars hologram things i guess that's oh, one yeah. actually do you know what my answer is i think i've come up with the same one as you okay who goes first on what is the best answer i i'm really curious to like how, how you would have made the same leap because it's from a movie you like more than i like not that i dislike it but i you like Fuck. it more than me okay say it um the the what do you call it um an arrival the aliens in arrival have they like write that the whole fucking movie is about language and that's and a fucking good answer it wasn't what i thought of <laughs> they, what they draw I like of. inky circles on the glass and that's how they yeah. communicate so that is my <laughs> favorite I, communications technology my answer it's funny that that we both made quite a leap from what we were talking about <laughs> you went to um you know acclaimed director denny villeneuve's like oscar you know nominated film arrival i went to um joel schumacher's phone booth starring colin farrell (laughs) i love that movie man and i probably like it more than you so i was like fuck maybe we are thinking of the same movie um (laughs) i actually secretly love i adore phone booth like i'm obsessed with it oh are you doing a bit or or i'm doing a bit i don't think i've seen phone booth Oh, it's so good, man. I Should love I check it out? <laughs> yeah, it's good to check it out. Um, and you catchphrase, get by our merch. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, there's, it's just a cool film. It's like, it's it's all in real time. And Kiefer Sutherland voices the bad guy. Um, Is it animated? No, it's just, um, he's, he's on the oh. on the phone. So, uh, wait, is the mode of communication in this film... A phone. A phone. <laughs> yeah. So so Colin Farrell's like a New York City douchebag. Um, and he's walking around uh, and then he a phone booth starts ringing and he answers it. And then he ends up being like trapped in the phone booth, essentially, um, mm. by, by a sniper. Um, and yeah, it's just a it's a very tense movie. It's only like 80 minutes. It might be even less than 80 minutes. It's a very easy watch, but I, I really, really like it. And then they did a spiritual sequel to that called Cellular, starring Chris Evans. Have you seen this? No, um, I think my family rented it once. Yeah. It's like it's, it's this woman is like kidnapped or something, and she they're like, oh, you want to fucking call someone? Here, call someone. They smash a phone. Um, but she manages to like wire it and like 
unable to see what number she's dialing. She's able to just press enough numbers that her phone rings. Um, and Chris Evans picks it up on the other on the other end, and he's just like, "Hey, lady, why'd you call me?" And it's like you you're just a random number. And then she has to keep him on the phone because there's no way that they could get in contact with each other again. Um, and has to find her and save her. But it's like, yeah, in one, like in both films, they're they're stuck to a phone, but in cellular, he's able to move. My favorite uh, form of te- communications technology in film is actually the messenger pigeons from Valkyrie, 2005's Ewan McGregor animated film about pigeons in World War Two. Very cool. There you go. I think that's what that movie's called. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I bet not. It's Valiant. Valkyrie's yeah, the Tom Valkyrie's Cruise the Tom Cruise one. one in World War II. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 